Thompson, and today's episode of What Happened When is brought to you by SaveCade.com. And Tony, over the last month, we have helped more of Slapdick Nation save money than ever before. People who were looking for some help for some credit cards, maybe they had a second mortgage, maybe it was time to upgrade their house, turn their house into their dream home with no money out of pocket. SaveCade made it all happen for them, Tony. And that's because everybody wants to save money. And the best place to save money is at SaveCade.com. How about this? And I think this is so spectacular. When I first heard about this, I scratched my head thinking, why, why couldn't I get onto this when I first bought my house? Own a home with no money down? Hell yeah, buddy. I'm all in for that. Absolutely. You don't need perfect credit either. If you're a renter, what have you got to show for it, man? Get something for your family with me and First Family. It's fast. It's easy. You don't need perfect credit. There's no money out of pocket to see how much money we can save you. So why not find out how much money you can save for free right now at SaveCade.com. That's S-A-V-E-C-A-D-E.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. I know the words of that song. Uh, so I know as a word. reminder here, I was a big Partridge Family guy. I could tell. Yeah. I'm sleeping and right in the middle of a good dream. And all at once I wake up with Meltzer's writings knocking at my brain. Before I go insane, I hold my pillow to my head and spring up in my bed, screaming out the words I dread. I am a one star. You are a one star. This morning, I woke up with this feeling I didn't know how to deal with. And so I just decided to myself, I'd hide it to myself and ran into the toilet and took a swig of vodka with Conrad on the phone. I am a one star. A fucking one star. I am a one star. So what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid if I don't call him that he'll keep on burying me. I am a one star. But regardless what he tells me, I found out I had some fans what happened when is in the can? Danny Bonaducci was a part of uh, the Partridge family Partridge as Danny Partridge. That's right. And he's a local DJ in Chicago. Meltzer says the match was uh, so incredibly horrible to the point it was perversely entertaining as bad comedy. And it was basically an expose. I don't know what I'm up against. I guess I'll try to be a stooge. But what the hell am I saying? No! I am a one star and I'm fine with being shit on. I'm putting it on my tombstone when Lois finally murders me. I am a one star and life goes on for me. Though I wonder what he'll write, cause I'm back on Friday nights. Believe me, you really don't need to like me. I'm just trying to be funny. And if you say, hey, go away, I will. But I think better still, I better keep this podcast going. Do you think we're having fun? Well, this clown show is not done. I am a one star. I am a one star. 
I am a one star. I'm a fucking one star. I'm a motherfucking one star. I fucking love you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When Monday on the MLW Radio Network, and of course, the master of ceremony, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad Thompson, what a big week for podcasting. What a big week for What Happened When. What a big week for StarCast. It's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan, and I'm damn glad, damn glad to be a part of it with you. Man, I tell you what, we had quite the week at Starcast. I, I don't think I ever really expected this to happen, maybe the way it did, but Starcast has blown up and we've sold out all of our bracelets. Uh the hotel here's some news for you, Tony. The hotel actually contacted us and said, Hey, if we could help you get more room, would you need it? Hell yeah. <laughs> so they're working on it and they've got uh, believe it or not, this is a real story, Tony, with all of our slap decks coming to the show over Labor Day weekend in Chicago, the other people in the hotel were a youth soccer tournament. I got rid of them. Now I'm trying to get rid of, and this is real, a bridge club. <laughs> Can you, cause here's the thing. Can you imagine me and you running around there talking about Klondike bill? Meanwhile, old Mama's over here playing bridge. <laughs> this is a bad yes. look for this hotel. And now that they know what's coming. They're like, uh, we're going to try to find you some more room, but so at least for now we're sold out, but stay tuned. There is still an opportunity to do lots of meet and greets, meet some of your favorite wrestlers, get your pictures, get your autographs. And those tickets are on sale right now at starcast.com. S T A R R C A S T. Tony, I know it's been a while. Have you looked at the superstar lineup? I looked at it last night. Yes, I did online. And, uh, boy, it is, it is chock full. This this is, has turned into such a phenomenal show and a phenomenal must-be event for wrestling fans all around the world that uh, it is – this is just the beginning. That's just the beginning, and we got so many people who are in this with us, and my gosh, Medusa is going to be there. Yeah, I, I knew that you would be really excited about that. <laughs> That's why I didn't share, but 
We've got a yeah. lot of our favorite people that we've talked about on this show who are going to be there. Superstars from today, of course, the boys who drew the house, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, they're going to be there. The rest of the elite will too. You know, the villain Marty Skrull, Hangman Page. You can see all the gang there. But we've even got stars from yesteryear. We've got Road Warrior Animal. We've got JJ Dillon. We've got Magnum TA. We've got Tully Blanchard, Kevin Sullivan. So if you're a fan of this show, let me tell you, you don't want to miss it. Tony, you and I have been sort of talking about what we're going to do for our live show. And I don't think that we can stress that this is like the dream. What happened when, is that fair to say? Yeah. And it's going to be for me, uh, to be able to connect with the fans and be able to, uh, we have some special guests and that's all we're going to say. And if you've loved this show from the inception and now we're gosh, way over a year, then you're going to absolutely go gaga, do backflips over what we have for you coming up in Chicago. You know, lots of times whenever Bruce and I do a show, it's, Hey, who's your guest? And sometimes it's hard to get a guest like Rochester where our upcoming Rochester show, not a lot of folks live in Rochester. It's hard to get a guest because everybody in the history of professional wrestling is going to be in Chicago over Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're loaded with guests for what happened when it's Friday noon to one tickets are sold out to that. But stay tuned to starcast.com. It doesn't mean you still can't meet Tony, get your picture, get your autograph, get your whole what happened when experience. He's going to be available for those on both Thursday and Friday. So uh, check it out, starcast.com. We've done enough shilling, though. Let's talk about why we're here, man. It's Slamboree 1993. Uh, we have got a whole host of things to talk about on this show. Uh, give us a countdown, or if we tag in our six man partner here, we'll get going into the show, man. Well, okay, if she's awake this week, let's bring her in. Three, two, one, hit play. We go back and take a look at some of the legends. Oh, my God, there's Dory Funk Jr. and Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, the legends of pro wrestling. This event is Slamboree 1993, coming to you from one of the historic venues if I can say the word history, I know I've said it enough. Historic venues in all of pro wrestling. It is Slamboree 1993, a Legends reunion. And hi, everybody. Welcome to the Omni in Atlanta. Tony Schiavone, along with the one and only living legend, Larry Zabisco. And Conrad, let me, uh, instead of talking over and trying to be funny about what I was going to say, this is one of the events that I really remember more than any others that we did just because of all the legends who were there. Yeah. Because all the legends who were there. And, uh, uh as we take a look at the legends in the ring, uh, also look at Nick Bockwinkle. He's not so sure where he is. Bless his heart. Uh, he never was, uh, also because uh, I'll give you a story. Uh, we thought Jesse was going to show up that day and I got to the arena and everybody is saying, uh, where's Jesse? And I said, I, I don't know where Jesse is. And Lois got in touch with me and she, I, I'm trying to think how she got in touch with me and told me that Jesse had, uh, Jesse's wife had called her and Jesse has a blood clot in his leg yep. and, and cannot travel. And what I remember most, most about that was I, I've talked to uh, Ventura on the phone. He said, hey, Shivani, he said, does Lois like to talk? <laughs> I said, you have no fucking idea, buddy. He said, well, uh, my wife, Terry, called her on the phone to tell her 
that uh, I had a blood clot. And she kept her on the phone for 30 fucking minutes. <laughs> I said, yeah, and she doesn't even know who your wife is. So that's what I remember about earlier in the day. And, and, of course, we had a great sub with Larry Zabisco, man. I thought Zabisco was great in this role. I thought, actually, Zabisco worked better in this role. Yeah, especially because he's honoring the legends in such a big way. This is the most WCW open ever, though. Everything about the production in the first half of this show is fucked with a capital F, is it not? Yes, it absolutely is. Oh, look at Matt Coon. He's, he's lost some weight. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, we know who that is. That's Max Payne. And uh, I was... Uh, I thought this was pretty cool, the entrance of uh, uh, Moolah, but I, I just kind of thought that this uh, hard rock shit with all these old fuckers in the ring was kind of disjointed. Well, here's what's weird to me. First of all, the guitar, the, the sound quality of the guitar performance here is not good. They have such a tight shot on him. You can't see the pyro that he just celebrated. You saw the, you know, the reflection of the flame, but not the actual flame. Even when they first bring the show in the, the voiceover in the video package and you are both competing at the same time, we're not getting really tight shots and, and entrance moments here for the guys in the ring. And now we've got, I mean, how would you describe this yeah. fucking goon squad here? Well, it's a bunch of oiled down motherfuckers. I mean, this, and, this feels yeah. like the beginning of a Liberace concert or something. You know, well, I, I don't mean that to be funny. Yeah. I'm just saying you've no. got like the, all the, 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 look at the, I don't even, what do you even call this thing that she's riding out in? Like it's over the top opulent, you know, it's, it's kind of like what Cleopatra would have there been you in. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Or what a clown would have been in, as you can see all those different colors and and you're right. I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, there she is the fabulous moolah. And for all the guys, uh, who helped, uh, bring her out. She will have a bunch of girls service you a little bit later. Whether they want understand. to or not. Hey, so <laughs> they've got a, a ring full of guys here, but they're making a big to do about Moolah. In your opinion, were they doing this because she was sort of Mrs. WWF? Yeah. They, that and the fact that they wanted to, they, I mean, they really wanted to honor the legends of wrestling. And look, Dusty was the booker at this time. And uh, he loved to honor the, the legends of wrestling. And I like it. I damn liked it. And now here is Eric Bischoff and the beautiful Missy Hyde. And Missy, we have such a great show coming up. You're going to be introducing some legends. That's right. Uh, I don't know if they can still get it up or not, but I'm going to be talking to these old fuckers. Oh and tonight we are going to make sure that they get my phone number. All right, Missy, I'd like to say a couple of things about what we got. Not only do we have the legends here tonight, we have some great wrestling action. That's right. Davey Boy Smith in the main event against Vader. We're also going to see Arn Anderson get his shot at the NWA World Heavyweight title, taking on Barry Windham, who's going to bleed like a stuck pig. In addition, a cage match as we're going to see a Oh, Missy. The lights went out. Here, hold this microphone, Missy. Okay. Missy, what? That's not my microphone. Whoa, sorry. It was kind of small anyway, I thought. Uh, and uh, as uh, right now, I'm getting really pissed off because I'm the boss of this company, and, uh, and uh, we're still in the fucking dark. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's, uh, are we going to go to the ring? No, we're not going to go to the ring. Would someone did get Craig Leathers on the fucking phone, motherfucker? Jesus, criminy Christ. 
what are we doing? All right, well, let's just go to the old people cheering here, and maybe we can get the lights turned back on before all this is is done. Uh, uh, Missy, like I was saying, <laughs> as we go to our third wide shot, as I, oh, the lights are back on, Missy. As I was saying, thanks for holding my microphone, by the way. You're welcome. I uh, enjoyed holding your microphone, and I'm going to be holding the microphone for some of the old guys coming up a little bit later on. But let me say this. I think Mula has not aged too well. I think when I'm her age, I'll age much, much better. That's just my fault. Okay. Well, that's your own opinion there, Missy, and I'm sure that when your Mula's age, you will have aged quite well, thanks to, of course, chemicals and plastic surgery. Uh, Missy, uh, I just think, Eric, you're so dreamy. I just think that you're so handsome, and I just think that when you get older, you're going to look fucking older than you really are. Yes. Well, that's what people say about me, that I have not aged well. But Shivani has. Uh, Pritchard, not so much. Conrad, he's younger than all of us. And uh, Missy, do you think that we have wasted enough time here on set? Do you think we can finally go back to the ring and do some shit? Or do you think that maybe the lights will go out again? But I won't fire anybody, even though I should. Had I fired Craig Leathers tonight then maybe we wouldn't have many of the problems that we had going forward. All right, now let's go to the ring. Tony Schiavone and the living legend Larry Zabisco. All right. Was that was that not a clusterfuck of an open? Right. That thing. It's the worst thing I've seen on pay-per-view yeah. production-wise ever. Right. Right. How about this combination of, of beautiful Bobby and Chris Benoit? What a way to open your show. Regardless of the of the production, Conrad, regardless of the production, I, I liked this show. I really did. Now, yeah, we had some old fuckers wrestle. I understand that. And some of the shit was not good. But I, I, I just liked it. I really did. What did you think of it? You know, I mean, I can appreciate the concept, but this whole celebrating the legends thing, I feel like it could have been done a lot better. You know, okay. I mean, well, you know, obviously that's Duke Gold Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Uh, I, I agree. And now that you're a big time promoter, oh, you can, listen to you, listen <laughs> well, to you, you, you are now that you're a big time promoter, you can say, well, I would have done this differently oh, and I would have, well, you can, you can Conrad, you absolutely can. I know how you are. I know how you are. You don't want to take any credit or you don't want to have anything reflected on yourself, but you are the fucking Starcast man. Starcast man. <laughs> how would you okay. describe uh, Buff Bagwell's dancing here? Look at this silly <laughs> shit. Okay. Well, I think that his tights are a little bit too tight and his joint has maybe got stuck in the corner of his leg. And that's why ooh, he's trying to ease it out right there. Um, yeah, let me say something. You are the fucking star cast man to the point to where, and I'm going to say this because you can't, somewhere in Stanford, Connecticut, they're going to have a meeting this week, and they're going to say, how'd that motherfucker sell that thing out? And what's he doing right? <laughs> uh, oh, my uh, gosh. You know okay. what I'm doing right? Basil, De Basil DeVito, would you uh, send some spies into Chicago to see what the fuck is going on? Maybe we could take some rooms. Let's put that, uh, we don't need this competition. You do need the competition, dumbass. You do. It makes you better. All right. So, so I got that out I get, earlier I get, than I, I, I thought. You were ready for that. <laughs> Let's talk okay. about the uh, the show here because we're starting off with man, what a fucking lineup of talent. You know, we say this all the time, but 
this era of WCW is just loaded, you know, maybe a year or two prior, it was even more so, but Bobby Eaton universally regarded as, as one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. One of the very best tag team wrestlers ever, you know, just a hell of a hand in every regard. Everybody's unanimous on that. Of course, Chris Benoit is going to go on to be arguably the best wrestler in the world. Um, too cold Scorpio, another guy super respected for what he could do in the ring, maybe ahead of his time, a high flyer at a much larger weight doing cruiserweight stuff at a heavyweight pace. And, uh, then there's fucking buff Bagwell. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I realize what makes Bob, one of the things that make Bobby and Benoit so great, not only could, could they do so many things, but let, let's face it. Uh, they're all young here. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, probably the, the senior of all these guys, but when a bunch of spots get fucked up and they always will during a wrestling match. Benoit and Bobby had the ability to still turn it into something. If somebody misses a move, if they miss a move, like we saw Scorpio miss that splash and kind of stumble, they can just absolutely go right into something else because they're so good at what they do. I really think, and I, well, fuck, I don't really think. I know I'm right here. I'm, I, that artistic part of wrestling is is does not exist really anymore. Um. Because, and I'm not trying to shit on anybody who's in MLW. It's just the fact that it just ain't, the workers just ain't what they used to be. Uh, because uh, we're into the high spot era, and uh, not really worrying about you know trying to tell a story in the ring as much. When you're talking about age too, I think it's important to tell everybody. Buff Bagwell is 23 here. Chris Benoit is 26. Two Cold Scorpio is 27. I mean, you guys have. All the young yeah. talent here, and these guys all have really bright futures in the business. And we're acting like, you know, Bobby Eaton's forever fucking old. He's really not. Let me, let me see how old he is here. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, but the fact is he is more established than these guys. I mean, he was a big star, Yeah. right? Yeah, I he's, mean, he's 10 probably, years ago. He's probably 35 here, 36. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, and he was still one of the most uh, underrated guys ever. Let me ask you this. I don't know this for sure because I don't keep up with it. Is the Midnight Express in the WWE Hall of Fame? Uh, no, they're going to be, I'm sure, though. Because they better they, be. They just put the Rock and Roll Express in. So well, sure, you know, sure. I like Ricky and Robert, but if you go put the Rock and Roll Express in, you ought to put the Midnight Express in. Well, I think a lot say? of that is based on, you know, when they felt like they could put Cornette on stage. Yeah, no, a lot of that is faced based on Vince's mood at the time. If we're going to be very honest about it, but that's okay. That's his business. He can do what he wants. Uh, but again, uh, Marcus Bagwell is probably, uh, uh, probably the least sound performer of all these four, but I think Bagwell was a very quick learner. He could sell as you could see right there. It was a great job. It's a great job of selling. And I think Bagwell continued to get better as he moved along. You know, Bagwell got his spot here because he looked great. Uh, and he had a great fire and, and vigor about him. And, uh, see again, just throwing the man over the top rope when the referee is not looking, that's old school wrestling stuff, man. This match actually gets two and three quarter stars on the observer. These guys are going to go nine minutes and 23 seconds. Meltzer would say good opener, but these four had the ability to put together a much better match, which was probably oh. limited by time constraints as anything. 
if you have a tape of this, watch the finishing move again. It's one of the most spectacular looking moves of the year, but the impact of Scorpio landing right on Benoit's head gives new meaning to the word crash landing. Miraculously, Benoit wasn't injured. So he's going to try to do what looks like, you know, a flip into a leg drop, but all of his ass meat lands directly on top of Benoit's head. Knowing what we know later, fucking brutal to watch. Yeah, I know. And you, you, you think about this. Uh, concussions, concussion protocol, uh, didn't happen back in 1993. Yeah. You just rubbed some dirt on it and kept going. Exactly. And who knows who absolutely knows if we had it back then, if maybe history wouldn't have turned out the way it's turned out. And that's just me freestyling here. I guess we should talk about how successful the business was here as well. Meltzer would report that the initial buy rate is going to be between 0.3 and 0.4 which would make it the lowest buy rate for any pay-per-view show in the history of the major two companies. WCW share of the gross would be around 800,000, which wouldn't be the lowest ever because of the 2495 price tag, as opposed to some of the poor performing pay-per-views in 1992 that were 1995. And I feel like that's sort of a lesson in wrestling fandom period. Like these days, there are fewer, much fewer wrestling fans than there were, say, 20 years ago. Right. However, the WWE is making more money because they found a way to get more money from those diehard fans, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you really think there, there are many less wrestling fans today than there were back then? I think there are a lot less fans watching the product, for sure. Right, right, but, right. But as far, that I agree. But the, the overall passion of the fans who are still here, I think is higher than ever. You know, people are spending money more now than they were back then. Of course, you know, we often talk about how hot wrestling shirts were with a Hulkamania or an Austin 316 or an NWO shirt. But when you look at not just one design, but the total number of shirts that are not only being sold through like WWE, but also pro wrestling tees now. You know, independent guys were not selling merch at the level they are now. And now you don't have to be a main eventer on TV on Monday night in order to sell a lot of merchandise. I mean, you could be, you know, a slap dick announcer who's been out of the business 20 years and you yeah, can sell like, a lot uh, of shirts. Yeah, like Bischoff or, uh, or uh, Pritchard. Right. And you can I mean, sell some t-shirts. Yeah, because right. you're on air every Friday on BN Sports. Right. So you're not, you can't right. be washed up if you're still doing it. <laughs> well, that would be an opinion now, wouldn't it? Well, no, I'm just saying you're doing it, and, and we're doing it over at LoisRules.com where there's a Tommy Young t-shirt. And you know what's funny is last week we talked about a Connie Chung expose for uh, around Capital Combat on that on that episode. They even interviewed Todd Gordon for it, so it was sort of a behind-the-scenes look at the NWA and WCW. But we had multiple people who really expected me to say her name like Tommy Young. Right. But they were disappointed that I didn't. Ah. So I'm wondering now, I mean, could we even legally sell a Connie Chung? I wouldn't go there. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm glad you said it. Connie Chung. Connie Chung meet. Tommy Young. (laughs) Suckers got to know. Maybe they could meet up and go for uh, one of Bill's glass bottom boat ride tours. Or maybe we could find out who really has a low-key big hog. But, you know, if Connie was really around back in 1990, Flair probably hit it first. And, uh, you know, Tom Zink and Ron Pillman were there. Maybe she got to meet the Hot Tag Express. But I'm sure 
She was a big fan of the cat bath, the full arm dragon twist, lots of fun shirts for slapdick nation. Hashtag NFLTG. Damn. I'm good. Easy way. Hard way. Suckers got to know. Pick up your shirts right now at LoisRules.com, and eventually you're going to call and thank them, right, Tony? Yes, I am. And unfortunately, now that we are in the midst of summer and we know what I have to do in summer, I get about one day a week to call. And I can I usually end up making about 20 to 30 calls. So I'm looking at making 20 to 30 calls at most one day a week. So I'm really behind. I'm sorry, but I will call you. I will call you. A guy picked up the phone last week and he said, shit. I forgot about you calling. It had been so long. I said, sorry. He said, but I still just wanted to get the shirt and uh, be a part of what happened when. See, now, if if you're a part of LoisRules.com, if you get the shirt, if you listen to us every week, you're part of us. We're all in this together, man. I'm a wrestling fan. Conrad's a wrestling fan. We're wrestling fans. Okay? We're not wrestling promoters. We didn't grow up promoters. We grew up wrestling fans. Look at this finish here. Check this out. Yeah, here it is right here. Oh, that is man, brutal, hard. man. That's hard to watch knowing, yeah. you know, what we know now. Bobby Eaton, like grabbing the referee's arm and it doesn't matter. He's still counting. Just totally ignored it. Cause that's the finish kid. What a finish. And, uh, look at you, Tony looking pretty dapper right here. Yeah. I, I, I looked pretty good here. And of course I, I, I think it was pretty apparent that the way that Larry and I the, the rapport that we had that I really love working with Larry, you know, Larry was, and he is just a funny motherfucker, man. And he made us all laugh backstage and he was all, he had that line. He said, time, something about time and the pyramids and the legends of professional wrestling that he used a couple of times. Uh, which I, I really enjoyed, but, uh, I, I think Larry is, I think Larry is an underrated color commentator. Uh, and I think he is because when we think about the great color commentators, we think about Heenan, Ventura, uh, Jerry, the King Lawler, and all those guys certainly, uh, should be, uh, thought of as the greats, but I think you got to throw Larry in there. I really do. He analyzed, he really analyzed, and he talked about some of the pain and, and some of the agony that you would go through when you would be put in a side headlock, or you would be put in an arm bar, or when you would be put in a full arm and dragon twist and whatever we call it. Oh, boy, the show is going to screech to a fucking halt right now. Do you want to buy a car? Do you want to buy a car? Van Hammer's a car salesman? He was at one time, I think. I'd love to know what he's doing these days. Yeah, no, not me, because he'd probably want to come kill my ass. Well, should I give your address on the air? <laughs> no, I should not. You should not. I, uh, I wonder what is going to what is going to happen. Oh, by the way, Ackworth Shoney's did not block me on Twitter. I know they blocked you, but they did not block me. Are you, so. like, are you like trying to brag right now, bro? No, I'm just. I just wanted to check out and. Uh, uh, they got a pretty nice place there, and that's all I'm going to say because. No, listen, I, I've been there. I like it. He's done a great job with the lobby. You got, you know, all the old memorabilia. It's good stuff. Uh, he just doesn't like me. Boy, look at mm. old Colonel Robert Parker here. Robert Parker's yeah. Jump Rope Academy shirt is available now. I mean, he's strutting out there with a smirk. You know, he's got that shit eating grin. Like, uh, <laughs> he's the cat that ate the canary. Yeah. But I guess, you yeah. know, we'd all probably have that look if we had the jump rope. 
There's no question. And, you know, he's with uh, MLW Fusion now uh, with the Dirty Blondes and uh, Jack Swagger. We, I guess we can't call him Jack Swagger on MLW right now. Uh, and uh, I don't know if that's aired yet or not, but he's going to be joining us pretty soon. And uh, he's got uh, Mike Perot and just, uh, you know, he's uh, he, he still will go down. He doesn't know where the fucking hard camera is, but he still will go down as, I, I think, one of the great characters that we've ever had in WCW. I mean, look, he's uh, hey, we're, we're talking about legends in this event tonight. Uh, why not can, uh, include, uh, the Fuller family as legends? I would, I would, wouldn't you? Absolutely. You know, their yeah. contributions to wrestling sort of get overlooked sometimes because they're Southern. Let me tell you though, I, I tweeted this out, you know, as we're taping this on Saturday, I tweeted this out Friday night because this is what I did on a Friday. This is how exciting my life is now that I do uh-huh. all these fucking wrestling podcasts. Sid was the fucking man and don't, I don't want to hear any shit. Like I'm tired of everybody just dumping on Sid. Look at how badass he is here. Like when yeah. I was a kid, man, Sid was the baddest motherfucker alive. He's tall. He's jacked. He's intimidating. Look, look at him just freaking out at the camera. It's the wrong yeah. camera, but still it's great stuff. That's not his fault. That's stupid ass Craig Leathers. Yeah. Um, I, I well, fucking love everything about this, this era of Sid 96 WWF Sid is hard to beat. But I love the 90s shit, and I love here, and I can't believe he's selling anything for fucking Van Hammer. Yeah, I know that. Uh, not only that, he got a, and this is always a good measuring stick, he got one of the biggest pops of the night when he walked out. Well, it's because he's fresh off the other TV. People perceive right. him as a big star. He is a big star. Right. Sure he is. And look at this. You know, this move, you know, really gets overlooked because, and there you see it, the power bomb. That was not a common move. You know, you had him doing it, Vader doing it. There weren't a ton of guys on American TV doing it. So it is a big deal. But what I liked about Sid is not only is he big and not only, you know, does he have this intimidating look, but his promos were underrated. I don't care what you say. I know he's been tongue tied a few times and he fucked up. So what his facials, when he plays to the crowd, like before he did that power bomb, he looked left and he looked right. That's a little nuanced thing that all the greats, whether it's Macho Man or it's Hulk Hogan, he's trying to connect with the audience. That's the reason they were they were popping for him because, you know, he was reciprocating some of that stuff. I fucking love Sid. I'm I'm tired of people shitting on him. Roll Tide. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and we've uh, you know kind of made fun of of the softball thing and and. Oh, I'm uh, not saying and, he wasn't professional. Listen, he's a piece yeah. of shit in that regard. Roll Tide. Right. Uh, but I'm just right. saying. On camera, as a kid, I didn't know any of that. I was like, Sid's the fucking man. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, here's one of our first legends. Uh, I I don't remember much about Red Bastine. I knew his name, but I don't remember much about him. But but I know he was legendary in the business. It was great to have him here. Bugsy McGraw, I do remember. I mean, Bugsy was was really a fucking oddball. Yeah, uh, and you he played think? it up here quite well. Oh my God, this was weird to fucking watch. Yeah, I know. It's like he wants to grab Eric in the ass right there, and Eric turns around and says, "Okay, get your hand off my ass, Bugsy, and talk to me." And and Bugsy was everywhere. One thing that happened, which was not bad, it ended up being a lot of these uh, interviews with the legends. A lot of these interviews ended up being "Hello to my grandchildren." Yeah, they're awful. They, they were not yeah. produced. This was poorly done. 
Right. It just feels like, and that's what sort of get, got me about this watching the back. It's like, this is a fucking TV company, like a television company owns this. Yeah. And, and yeah. there, this is clear to me that, you know, at this point they had no real involvement, the television side of Turner. This was just, oh, okay. Well let those wrestling guys do that wrestling thing. Who's oh yeah. Okay. Go do it. Because there's no, like, there's no fucking lighting when it's supposed to be. There's no plan for the promos. The production here, this is the worst produced WCW show ever. Well, okay. Now, but listen, it's a, it's a, it's a Dusty Rhodes production. Okay. And Dusty in his mindset here thinks that and we're really going to, <laughs> we are really going to bring it down here now in his mindset, Dusty Rhodes thinks all these guys these legends, they've done millions of promos. They've been doing promos forever. So they know what we're, they're doing. We'll just have Eric talk to these two guys. And that's it. That's the only, that's the only uh, work that was done behind the scenes. Here's the only thing that's, that's what, what I'm talking about specifically is just the television aspect. Like we just had three entrances from three legends. Didn't fucking see it. Yeah. Saw black and white graphics for who they were and not and what they used to look like. And then we cut away to their current aged yeah. condition. And you're like, fuck, that doesn't look like that guy. Yeah, I it's know. Just, it, it's a bad, I mean, this is just not well thought out. And, and even the graphics now, they're all standing there and they're just scrolling through the names. Like, here they are, but we're not going to show you each one. Like, we didn't get a shot of Jimmy Snuka. We looked at Morocco's back and it said Jimmy Snuka. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, we were so, and I think I know what's going on here. They were so uh, into making sure that the graphics that they spent time on would be seen instead of actually showing the guys in the ring. Which is what people are here for. Like, here's right. the thing, too. You could have done picture in picture like they're doing here. You could have just shown this in the bottom lower yeah. third or, you know, the old PIP technology. And we could see the guys actually doing what they're really doing and just see clips of their old stuff. But in hindsight, I don't even know that I would show the clips because when they're about to try to do some of these moves, they're not going to look as good. Like, right. It's just right. Like we just saw blackjack as a badass. now. Well, there he is. Yeah. It's not the same so, it's, it's making these guys to me. I don't, I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Do you think that maybe they shouldn't have wrestled? Well, that the legend matches shouldn't have happened. I don't know. I mean, I get that at this point they're trying to do something because business is down. You know, I guess we should sort of set the stage here. You guys had announced you were going to go from 300 shows a year to 200 shows a year. Now, normally when business is a booming, you start running two and three crews. When you start saying we're not running as many shows, clearly some shit's fucked up. Uh, now, some shit's fucked up. Let me also say it's something that we brought up here. We're, we're in the midst now with Eric taking over the company. We're in the midst of a, of a struggle here between Bob Dew, who wanted to run house shows, and Eric, who said, we don't need to run as many house shows. We're a television company. <laughs> as you can see, we weren't a good one. Uh, but that's what's going on. That's kind of why we've cut down – another reason why we've cut down the number of towns. Money-wise, obviously, and towns are down, but Eric was not in favor of towns. Right, because that's not, that's not really the goal. I guess we should mention here that – Meltzer would write after years of American promotions, ignoring all history of their business. Suddenly in the wake of declining viewer interest, both major promotions are in a race to see who can bring up the most nostalgia. 
WCW scored first last September with its 20th anniversary of the clash of champions, which drew a 3.7 rating much higher than the more recent clashes. Uh, and of course here we're doing a nostalgia pay-per-view. He would continue the reaction to Slamboree 93, the night of the legends was mixed overall. It's not a show that is going to have any effect on the current business trends, either positively or negatively. And personally, I'd give the show a very mild thumbs up because of the three main matches delivering great action. The bad matches were kept short and it was fun seeing wrestling history all of a sudden not become a forbidden subject to talk about, but there were serious negatives. The show lacked any momentum from start to finish. The finishes were almost all mindless, which made the matches with current wrestlers seem like good house show effort rather than major cards designed to change and further storylines. And little was done to effectively build up anything for the future. Although Davy boy Smith came out stronger than before. He also says there's far too many substitutions and really takes the company to task for not being able to deliver on exactly what was promised, including a situation with Scott Norton. Do you remember the deal here with Scott Norton? Uh, somewhat. Why don't you, uh, chat me up about that. Um, and how about Scott Norton's replacement? Granted, they were in alert when a guy walks out before a pay-per-view and they did at least get it announced on television the day before the change in the match. But that sting nails deal was a five minute fiasco, which was a waste of the company's most popular wrestler on a major show. Uh, the basic story on Norton allegedly is they had offered him $2,000 for the match with sting and they wanted him to put sting over. Norton saw he wasn't booked on any television shows that would air after Slamboree when they taped Monday through Wednesday and must have thought it was a quickie blow off since he had just arrived and it was his first major show. Since his business is Japan and Japan is where he's a top star, he may have thought it wasn't good for his primary job to put over Sting on a major U.S. card. Whatever the reasons, lawyers got involved and on Friday, negotiations had broken off and Norton went home. So yeah. we're going to see sting versus the prisoner, which is something Bischoff addressed at the top of the show. And he says, we don't know who it is. We just know it's the prisoner. And so they're mm -hmm. trying to push and remind you that you're not going to see Scott Norton and Norton at the time was a big deal in Japan. By the time he makes his way over to America though, and has a featured spot in WCW and years later, I don't know that he got maybe the same reception that he could have here in 93. Would you agree? I, I, well, I don't know how much a reception Scott Norton would have gotten. I, look, I uh, being a star in Japan at this era in 1993, I don't know if it always equated to being a star in the United States. And yeah, we I remember us hearing that Scott Norton didn't want to do the job. And we just shrugged it off and moved on. Uh, they still thought, well, we need to have Sting in the show some way. And I understand why. Meltzer says that we did didn't do a good job of uh, with our our number one star, uh, but uh, look at look at Dick Murdoch selling man at his age. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I I I think it was a non factor in this whole show. I think we made too much out of it, and we got Sting on. So there you go. And then Sting came in at the end, of course. You know, with the uh, with the Vader match, and we got a good pop of the Sting, and so I think we kind of made something out of that. You know, look, television shows and wrestling shows back then. I don't know. I'm sure there's somewhat the same way now, because I'm not in the backstage area anymore. Thank God. Uh, they are they they can become very fluid events 
They can become very fluid events right leading up to it. They can become very fluid events as the show is going on, with the perfect example of Tony Schiavone not getting the, the format until the show starts. So uh, I, I just – not trying to defend Dusty or Eric. Sometimes they just did the best with what they had at that time. They did. And they had to do it quickly sometimes. I guess we should mention uh, Meltzer gave the Sid Vicious Van Hammer match that went 35 seconds a dud. He says – Sid got a big baby face pop, which should have come as no surprise since he always did before. So it makes perfect sense, making him a heel. At least it was short. I can't imagine what gets into the people who run this company to wave red flags at the DEA. Isn't that a crazy sentence? Yeah. Well, that's him. We should is also, he going to be, is he going to be at Starcast? He will, but he's not going to interact with you. He doesn't do clown shows. Yeah. That's what I heard. Uh, well, good. Because I just might have a couple of people with me to kick his fucking ass. That's a joke. Lois, That's a joke, Lois ladies being, and gentlemen. Yeah. Lois being one of them. You know, people are going to hear that and they're going to get stirred up and they're going to think we're going to ambush them. And that's not my. No, intent. we're we're not going to do it. You know, I'm being funny. I know. Funny. Now people think you're going to be cruising up there like Anchorman style and have like a chain. <laughs> and Lois is going to have like nunchucks. <laughs> and she's going to be trying to fuck up Chico Alvarez <laughs> and you're going after, uh, Meltzer. No. He's probably, uh, hanging and banging out in California hey. right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hey, you know what? Uh, thank God for him. If you think about it, he has he has helped us, uh, tremendously on these shows and has given me a, a great sounding board to be irreverent. It's a fucking work. <laughs> yes, it's a work. God it's, almighty. Uh, but people, you know, there's two types of people. People who really believe everything we say and people who, like you and me, like to stir up the shit. <laughs> so there you go. What do you think of this match that we have right now? I mean, Brunzel obviously looks better than the rest of them. Uh, Snooker doesn't look bad. Look at, uh, I mean, my God, uh, Dick Murdoch going up top. Yeah, I guess we should mention that... Um... This match goes nine minutes and 25 seconds. It's going to be the longest match on the show so far. Wahoo McDaniel here is 54. Blackjack Mulligan is 52. Jim Brunzel's 43. Jimmy Snuka's 49. Morocco is 44. And Murdoch is 47. Um, Meltzer right. This was set up by a lame angle on television the day before when Brunzel was in a hallway and Morocco confronted him with Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Raschke. Wanting to gain revenge for something that happened in the mid seventies in Minneapolis, forgetting of course, that Morocco was a babyface in Minneapolis and left the AWA for San Fran before Brunzel started wrestling. Shivani boned up on the trivia, although it was largely mid Atlantic trivia, since he never mentioned Morocco and Snuka's most famous moments in their career, which were in the 1983 WWF where he and Zabisco acted as if all six were retired wrestlers who have kept in shape. When in fact, they all still work regularly and newer fans were probably perplexed at seeing Brunzel, who's almost been an anonymous WF jobber for the last several years, all of a sudden be presented here as a wrestling legend. The match was fun to watch for the first three minutes and people popped when the 300 pound Murdoch did a flying head scissors. Snooka seemed to think this was his tryout for getting a new job as he was ripped and took one great bump out of the ring. And I haven't seen Mulligan this active since the civil war. Morocco wow. and Snuka had two screw ups. The second having Snuka accidentally hit Morocco, who was then schoolboyed by McDaniel for what looked like a three count. 
No bell rang, but McDaniel hesitated for a moment as if he thought it was the finish. And then they kept going for about 10 seconds and the bell rang called for a double DQ. The first of many lame finishes star and three quarters. Uh, well, I, I don't disagree with a lot of that stuff, but, uh, maybe he should, maybe Dave Meltzer should have been our WCW historian and could have given us, uh, notes. Okay. He was giving notes to somebody just not you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Boy, was he ever. And someone was giving notes to him, too. Just not me. A lot of notes. Wow. How about that bump by Snuka, man? That's a hell of a bump. A hell of a bump for a retired guy. Jesus. Uh, this was this was this was OK. This I mean, look, this was OK. And now we're going to go to what I think is one of the best ones. Uh Missy uh, really doesn't know how to handle these two. Obviously, both of them can talk. And <laughs> watch this. Uh, when Missy here, and, and this is one of the things I remember about the show. Missy's talking to Mad Dog Vashon. He says, I am not finished talking yet. <laughs> I thought that was so fucking cool. He was talking, and she went over to the other side, and buddy, he just kept on talking. You know, uh, he was a legitimate badass too, you know, it, but it does sort of present him poorly when he's so much shorter than Missy Hyatt. Right. I mean, Missy Hyatt is here doubling down on the heels. She's mm. as tall as these big old school wrestlers. I guess we should mention to everybody the assassin here is busting out of that mask. He, um, <laughs> he's a guy who, who a lot of people probably don't know had a big role in WCW. Yeah. Jody Hamilton, uh, father of, uh, Nick Patrick. And also, uh, he ran deep South wrestling, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, he ran the school, the power plant for a while. Yep, of course, sure he's did. the father of Nick Patrick. He would run yep. gorilla a lot, uh, yep. for, for WCW. So a big behind the scenes player, uh, of course, Koloff on the screen now, and we're getting <laughs> clips from him. You know, I, I, I think it gets slept on a little bit. How fucking roll Todd was Missy Hyatt here in 93? My gosh. Throughout the entire run, you know, we talked about how she looked with the nasty boys. Yeah. Throughout our entire run, she was absolutely roll tied. She she could never look bad. It doesn't matter what type of how you dressed her up. If she dressed her up in an evening gown or if you dressed her down like a nasty boy, she could not look bad. She was roll tied here, man. This 1993 Missy is my favorite. I know a lot of my friends really like the, uh, the world-class eighties version and hey, roll tied on that. I'm not mad at it, but, uh, this 93 is what I grew up on. I was all about it. Yeah. Well, you know what? She's one of my favorites, a beauty. I mean, to me, deep in my heart, obviously Medusa's number one. Sure. Okay. Uh, Francine is a close number one now to me. Just to let you know, uh, even though I've never met her. By the way, uh, I had a conversation with her. I need to tell you about offline. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying maybe some, I can't that. wait to, I can't wait till the show ends now. <laughs> what about, um, little cowboys for action cowboys for angel action. Oh no. Stop it. What? Stop it. No, I'm saying they're a sponsor on the show. Did you not see that email come through? Uh, would you please stop it? What? <laughs> Here's what I need to do. You know, we're always looking for how can we create more content? 
What if we yeah. had you actually go on a date? Remember those old dating shows where they would let a camera crew follow them along and then yeah. do like the little pop-up videos, like the thought bubbles of what they're thinking as the other person's talking. We right. could do that with you on a Cowboys Four Angels date. You don't think? No, I don't think that would work. So let's talk okay. about it. Um, <laughs> Thunderbolt Patterson's here, 54 years old. He's looking for a tag team partner. Uh, yep. Bob Armstrong, who was supposed to be his partner and was announced as being his partner, uh, was not here because of an injury. And they say it was a knee injury, but actually it was a cracked sternum and a fractured wrist that was suffered two weeks prior. And of course, Meltzer's fired up that they're still advertising them here, but either way, bullet Bob is out with an injury. So they're looking for a replacement and who better than bullet Bob's son. Yeah. Brad Armstrong, uh, who was, uh, I, to me, the Armstrong family, the way that Brad talk and the way that Bob talked just to me, uh, exemplified Southern wrestling. Right. And uh, it's something that obviously the, the people in the Omni who have seen Brad Armstrong wrestle on top against Ric Flair uh, just really bought into that. And the fact that, you know, say what you want about Thunderbolt Patterson and his legacy in the business. And maybe, quote unquote, he could have caused a lot of headache for a lot of promoters. Man, he had a great sense of timing. And really had a lot. I mean, everything that he did, I mean, he poked you in the eyes and he was just he was just an exciting guy to watch. Uh, and it brings me back to uh, something I think I've mentioned before. Thunderbolt Patterson came to the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling for a brief time and they had him like on two shows and they announced that he would be uh, coming to the Richmond Arena. And a friend of mine and I says, we got to go watch that fucker wrestle. So we drove to watch him wrestle Blackjack Mulligan. It was a shitty match, but Thunderbolt, by his annex, got us into it. And I, I just, I, I just thought he was, he was one of the more entertaining guys in the ring. No doubt about it. You know, this is the epitome of old school here. Baron von Raschke, um, such a delight to see him perform. It's funny because when I was younger, never a Baron fan. As I get older. He's just fun to watch, and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah well, you know, I, I tell you the story about when I first met Baron Von Raschke, and I couldn't believe that he had a normal voice. Hello, Jim Raschke. I went, whoa, whoa, man, I remember. That's his nick and that's all the people need to know. Shit like that, man, was a part of my growing up in wrestling. I guess we should mention here, Meltzer is going to give this half a star uh, they're going to go four minutes and 40 seconds. Um, not the best match, but you know, it yeah, is, it's a, well, here it is. It's on pay-per-view and you feel bad disparaging a legend, you know, when they're clearly trying to have fun here. Yeah. Look let, let me mention what Meltzer said about the assassin here. Eric no. Bischoff interviewed the assassin and mad dog Vashon, assassin who needs to buy a new, na- a new mask because this would only cover three of his six chins. Challenged Dusty Rhodes again, and when the show was over, one could only speculate as to why they spent so much time building a feud between those two. Could you read that again from the beginning? You just started. Start again. Read that again. Eric Bischoff interviewed the assassin. Stop. Ma- Missy Hyde interviewed him. That dumb fuck. Thank you. Okay. You're mad. So if you can't get your facts right, motherfucker, don't do your don't do your newsletter. Oh, look at you. All right. Okay. Hey, apparently he didn't watch it and someone told him about it. 
No, he okay. wasn't. Okay. I could have been his historian and, and gave him had him bone up on his trivia a little bit. <sighs> that boy, I, I purged that one. That made me feel good. Jesse Ventura blamed his uh, blood clot situation on filming Demolition Man, where he says he had to yeah. wear like these ultra tight knee pads in the movie. And he was uh, released from the hospital Monday or Tuesday. So the day after or two days after this pay-per-view. Glad to know mm-hmm. he was okay. Yeah, me, me too. And, uh, yeah, whether that, that, you know, I, I always, Jesse never lied to me. And so I, I think that is, is really, uh, why he had a blood clot in his leg. But of course, you know, it's a Hollywood excuse. So it sounded pretty good too. Right. Oh, my movie prevented me from doing a show. No doubt. Yep. I don't think there's any question. So what was this? A quarter star or one or a half star or half, something like that? Half a star. Half a star. Okay. Uh, well, this, this isn't going to get the worst match on the poll though. No, but, and, and it shouldn't, but again, I look at this and thinking, you know, for a legends match, it's probably not that bad, but then again, why do we have it on a pay-per-view? Thank you. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, I can, but at the same time, you know, you, you see numbers are down. Let's try something different. I mean, I get sure. that. I get that too. And here, of course, is one of the great visuals in wrestling. Baron Von Raschke with his claw on Brad Armstrong, and the Thunderbolt breaks it. Give everybody uh, a need, time key. I need to, let, her, let everybody know where you are. Okay, yeah, I think I'm just a little bit ahead of you, maybe. And I'm at uh, 47, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. They just slammed them together as I'm watching it. Uh, or you may be a little bit ahead of me on that. Uh, but we're uh, about the same time, around the same time. And, uh, you know, let me say something here, and I think we need to say it. Uh, and there's your one, two, three count with Thunderbolt Patterson getting the win. Uh, God bless Ivan Koloff, uh, who passed away recently and uh, one of the great performers in the business, one of the great heels in the business, and truly, without a doubt, anybody that knew him during his time in wrestling or even after his time in wrestling knew that Ivan Koloff was a good man. And that's one of the great things. That's one of the things about we loved about Ivan Koloff. He was such a good man but he played such an evil character. So I think it's something that needs to be said about Ivan Koloff as we're watching the end of this match. All right. Thunderbolt Patterson and uh, Brad Armstrong are your winners. It's a quarter star match, as they say. And where are we going to go now? Man, this is a moment that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. It's flair for the gold. Now, of course, the real reason that we're doing this sort of segment with Flair and he's not wrestling is because he's contractually not able to wrestle because he had a conditional release from the WWF. Right, Tony? Right. Had a conditional release from the WWF and could not be seen wrestling on our television show at this time. So we came up with this, a Flair for the gold. And your boy, Neil Pruitt, actually has the sign from this. Neil, right there on the left where it says Flair for the Gold, Neil has that, right? Yes, he does. He has a lot. Neil has a lot of things from the old days. Uh, and uh, Neil, of course, uh, has a podcast. You know, as much as I love Flair for the Gold, woo! And as much as it really helped, I think, just 
you didn't need to develop a Ric Flair character by 1993. It was already developed. It just enhanced it. But as much as I love it, uh, you know what I think about when I think about a Flair for the gold? What? Shockmaster. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think about. And uh, that that is unfortunate because there were a lot of pretty neat things that were done on the Flair for the gold set. One thing that we did that I thought was wrong, it worked here, but I thought that was wrong was, as you can see, Flair's got a lavalier on and everybody was mic'd up. So there'd be a lot of times on a Flair for the gold set. You just hear other people talking who aren't on camera. Right. Exactly. Woo. Here she comes. How about this? Is that not a, quite a story right now? If you think about it, it really where we is. are today, I guess we should remind everybody that Fifi, the maid who we just saw is actually mm -hmm. Ric Flair's significant other in real life now. And for the past several years, they live together in the suburbs of Atlanta and, um, he's sort of the stepdad role for her children. And, uh, I guess he's Papa Rick over there, but he's pop pop here in Huntsville. Yes, yes, he is. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, Wendy, Wendy Barlow was, uh, stayed with Rick during his uh, recent illness and was certainly, uh, no, she's still, she's still the head nurse, man. You know, he's yeah, still got she, yeah, she, complications and whatnot until he has, uh, another surgery in July to sort of put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And she's been there soldiering through taking care of. And here comes Arn Anderson, who's still Billy Badass and uh, yes. looking only as he can look, man. Arn has not aged ever. He still looks exactly like this 25 years later. Uh, and it was mentioned that Tully Blanchard did not show up. Uh, I guess it's uh, was one of those things where they could not come to agreement with Tully. But Tully did show up a year later in Philadelphia when we did Slamboree. Yeah, so I guess we should say that the um, the real scoop here on Tully is... He had a, a, a drug failure and they thought that maybe they could, um, hold that against him when he tried to come back before. And now they're trying to put, trying to put together a deal together here. And it's just not financially the deal he's looking for. Meltzer would right. write the latest on Tully Blanchard this week is he's not coming back in because he's mad that he was offered less money than Johnny B bad and Jim Neidhart and was given less than what Tom Zink was earning. Of course, that could all change by the time you read this. Ultimately, it did not change. Um, he sort of uh, turned his nose up at the money. And considering, you know, what he was offered relative to what others were earning, I could see why he would be upset. I Well, I could see that, too. Uh, and Tully, you know, Tully was, I wouldn't say he's a difficult guy to work with. He could be difficult uh, to work with. But, man, Conrad... Didn't we want to see Tully and Arn and Ole and Rick together again? Yeah, God. it wouldn't have made sense storyline wise. And I understand why they couldn't, but fucking Barry Windham could have saved the day here. And, you know, storyline wise, it just didn't make sense. But if, if Barry was back with them, that would have worked just fine. Of course, Luger can't be there. He's with the WWF. There's really not a lot of other options here, right? No. No, there's not. You know, you know, from what I know and being in wrestling all these years and from what I know about Ole Anderson, seeing Ole address women and go to the bar is so fucking out of place. <laughs> having Ole wear a tux is out of place. But having him in that scenario, it's just it's just kind of crazy. Boy, Flair was really good in this role, wasn't he? But look at this. He, I'm talking about none other than the styling and profiling pretty Paul Roma and the booze yeah. come 
pouring in. I oh, mean, yeah. Atlanta is shitting all over this. Yeah. Well, you do what you can do in this situation, but uh, yeah, you're talking about a turd in the punch bowl. Hmm. Is this one of the worst, you know, decisions ever for the horseman? I mean, I think it's the. It's not a good decision, but here's my flip side of that. Who do you put? Yeah, I know you've said Barry Windham, but Barry is wrestling Arn. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like that's the storyline wise. That wouldn't make any sense. You've backed yourself into a corner and almost feels like you should wait and try to do this when you can plug Windham in if you're going to do it. But clearly you're trying to put as much nostalgia as you can. Right. Roma being a part just fucking does not make any sense to me. No, no. And, and you know, in hindsight, they probably should have said Tully can't be here, but he'll always be a four horseman and three of them stand there. Uh, and Dusty and Dusty come out and stir something up and it starts yeah. something. Here's another thing. Like, I know that this isn't what they were looking for, but if you really wanted to start, tell a story and I'm just freestyling, I'm not a booker. What if it was Dustin Rhodes and he had turned his back on Dusty and this was, you know, going to create like a father son dynamic and then they get together later or something. But if you, there's so much history and tradition there with Dusty versus Rick that you could almost put Dustin in the middle of it, which I get Dusty wouldn't have wanted to do, but fucking anything makes more sense than Paul Roma. You're becoming a pretty good booker in your time there, Conrad. No, I'm not saying that that's... No, it's it's good idea. It's a good idea. I don't think it's anything Dusty would have done right. with his own son, right. but it's a good idea. Now, here's... Uh, let me say this. Johnny Valentine being old school, uh, and he's, in a, he's out in a wheelchair, uh, did not know where the camera was he didn't need to but in my day he was one of the baddest motherfuckers ever look at this uh beach blast commercial give everybody a time cue here okay the beach blast commercial and we are at 28 55 30 31 32 33 34 35 and let's see the beach blasts just dissolved out that didn't sell shit did it no, it's awful. It's like you guys are yeah. trying to show off your graphics here and not right. uh, there's a fundamental lack of what wrestling fans want. Wrestling fans don't need fucking cool graphics. Wrestling fans want things they can care about. By the way, and I know you're going to love this match and somewhere Bruce Pritchard has watched this match. I'm sure he loves it because he is a huge Dory Funk Jr. fan. I cannot take Dory Funk Jr. Seriously. I never could. I love me some Terry Funk. I don't think they could be any different to me. I, they're not even remotely like, I can't believe they're brothers. When I came along at a different time, I didn't see what you saw, but to me, like Terry Funk, you know, top 10 greatest of all time, you know, on my top 10 list for sure. And then Dory Funk, like, I don't know. He looks like a crypt keeper. Well, I always thought that Dory was, uh, forever 80. Yeah, he always he always looked like an old man to me. That's what I mean. Gene, yeah, Gene Kaniski is turning him in the ring about where to go, and that he was NWA World Heavyweight Champion for what four, five years, something like that. Twenty nine years in a row. <laughs> it's it blows me away. But then again, you think about it, most people would go to a match thinking that motherfucker's the World Heavyweight Champion, and he would still retain the title. And people would say, that motherfucker. So, yeah, I never did get Dory Funk Jr. Hey, you know, we talked about uh, uh, Jeannie Engel 
a couple of weeks ago, and yep. uh, Janie got in touch with me. Says, "Heard you guys were talking about me and on the on your podcast." I said, "Well, you know, I love you, don't you?" And she said, "Yes, I do." But uh, anyway, uh, she and Dory Funk were always, and his wife were always very close. So uh, I don't want to. But yeah, I mean, Dory Funk and Terry Funk. Wow. All right, so we got Nick Bockwinkle and Dory Funk Jr. Gene Kaniski. Uh, and Vern Gagne. And, you know, Vern Gagne, even back then, thought he was the toughest man there. And he was one of the toughest. But he was, uh, you know, we talk about uh, Vern Gagne's uh, wrestling uh, training and his school that's been, you know, that was that was well talked about on Ric Flair's 30 for 30. Uh, some great wrestlers came out of uh, Vern Gagne's territory. No doubt about it. And this is, uh, this is going to be a long match here. So let's circle back and talk about what Meltzer said about the horseman reunion. Okay. Of the five flair segments that have aired thus far, this was easily the worst flair announced. Tully Blanchard had snubbed the reunion, but brought in Paul Roma as the newest horseman to say that announcement bombed would be an understatement. Blanchard was announced as going to appear on television the day before the show on all radio and television ads in the Atlanta market even though it's been known for weeks that he turned down the offer. A major corporation like this should be a lot more honest in the way it advertises events. Even though Roma has a lot of talent, he was a longtime WWF jobber and later a mid-level heel on a tag team that never contended for the titles. Based on the reaction here, this didn't elevate Roma to a new level as much as it really deflated the horseman name. Flair did mention in passing that he was going to put on the trunks again and face the Hollywood blinds, but no emphasis was put on a match, which is being put in a position of three weeks being the key factor in television ratings for a major primetime special. He shit all over it, but I kind of agree with him. What say you? No, I agree with him 100%. Absolutely. What I agree with him the most about this statement is that a major corporation, knowing that he is not there, should not falsely advertise it. False advertising was one of the things that hurt us moving forward really did. And you know what? Don't tell me you can't change the advertisement. You're thinking, oh God, if we change the advertisement, people are really not going to want to come. Be honest. Yeah. That's better. That's, that's to me, that's the best thing to do. So I agree with that part. I think that really hurt us. And I'm not really blaming one person for that. You know, I think Eric taking over the company and I think the company was so diverse and had so many people that, uh, Eric couldn't oversee everything. But he tried. We, we, we shit on uh, Craig Leathers a lot. And I do personally because I know that he wanted to take over the business himself. But at this juncture in 1993, Craig Leathers was a very green director. He had been in production a long time. He had worked for Vince in production. But as a director of a major pay-per-view, he was very green at that. So uh, This match is going to go uh, a Broadway as we say, it's going to go the time limit. And in the, in the course of things, yeah, there was a lot of rest holds and two guys, you know, uh, slowing it down, but I kind of liked it. I, first of all, I'm marking now that Johnny Valentine is two chairs down from me. That's number one. And number two, I'm, you know, even though I'm with you about Dory Funk, I'm, I'm kind of marking out for this match as an old school uh, guy. Not now, but back then I was. Right, right. No, I get it. Yeah. And if you want the guys to go Broadway, and at that age, and you, you know, legends, 
Uh, boy, Gene Kaniski did a lot of blade jobs in his day. Wow. Uh, then you uh, then you got to have holds like this, rest holds like this. You know, Larry uh, married to Vern's daughter, uh, Kathy. And uh, so Larry was uh, Larry was part of the family, so to speak. You know the story that Vern uh, beat up somebody in the nursing home? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Larry tells me that's not true. Really? Yeah. Larry says it was a sensationalized thing uh, by parties – uh, to make a story that that really did not happen to me. It sounds better that it happened, <laughs> but Larry says it doesn't, it did not happen. So, well, it's, uh, there is a lot happening here. Meltzer would write, even though the advance was poor, the house for television was well-dressed to where it at least looked respectable. There were 7,000 in the building with 3722 paid which is pretty bad for a pay-per-view, but considering how the advance looked, it wasn't unexpected. The paid attendance was actually lower than the previous Omni house show, although that show had a dollar ticket price. Yeah. So the comparison isn't really fair, and the gate was lower than this. The live gate was only $37,000, which is a little better than most Omni shows over the past year. Starcade at the Omni, in comparison, did $70,000. No pay-per-view numbers at press time, but from all indications, it would be amongst the lowest ever. We referenced yeah. what it would be a little earlier. Right. Wouldn't that be a red flag for us? Because this is our home venue. Wouldn't that be like Vince going to Madison Square Garden with one of his pay-per-views and it not doing well? I mean, that, to me, that's, that, that just says a lot about where we were at this time and what Eric had inherited in taking over the company. Uh so, yeah, that was – I thought they – I agree. I thought the crowd looked good. It was a pretty uh, live night. They popped for Sting. They did a bunch of pops for Davey Boy. They really weren't into this, but this is what we gave them, and that is that uh, that uppercut that Dory Funk is well-known for. And you know what? It looks good. Meltzer put it over hard. Dory Funk here is 51. Bachwinkle's 58. They're going to go to a 15-minute draw, and he would write – these two put on a wrestling clinic, which some people loved and others thought was boring. Bockwinkle is in amazing condition for his age. And really so was funk as neither yeah. man showed any evidence of tiring out. This was pushed at the last minute as a battle of the NWA versus the AWA from the seventies when both held the titles of their respective organizations, although not at the same time, it was an old style exchanging holds wrestling. And for what they were doing, it was really good. Although it got no crowd reaction and drew some loud, boring chants about 10 minutes in Kaniski, who's 69 does a run in in the near finish when Bachwinkle had funk in a figure four, even though there was little reaction to the match itself, the fans gave both men a very appreciative ovation after the match, two and a quarter stars. I agree. Absolutely. I, I, you could have even given it three stars if we're going to be splitting hairs here. I just thought it was I thought it was very good. I absolutely thought it was very good. And a lot of times as wrestling fans, and I know guys out there, you would agree with me watching shows, you kind of shit on Broadway's time limit draws. But in this case, it worked for what we were doing and the night we were having. It really worked. So I, I agree that it was, it was a very – wasn't the worst match by far on this card. Right. By far. So, 
Anyway, so we're uh, we are what an hour and five minutes into the show so far. Uh, we've had lights go out. We've had graphics over the uh, wrestlers, and uh, we've had wrestlers look at wrong cameras. We'd have uh, Paul Roma uh, lustily blue, booed by the fans at the Omni, uh, and uh, so things are are not going well in this pay per view until right now, and. I, I, I back listening to it. If you go back and listen to this, this commentary that I did with Larry Zabisco, it wasn't bad. I don't think wasn't my worst commentary, but for some reason, Conrad, and I don't know why this is, I sounded like I was on helium, like I've been sucking on helium all day. And I don't know if that's because maybe Lois gave me a nut shot before I was getting ready to go to the arena that day, kick me in the nuts or something. I don't know. I could have been, but I was just, I was, you know, because, uh, because I'm back in wrestling now and I'm doing MLW. I, I do go to the, uh, the Emory voice clinic in Atlanta to try to keep my voice strong. Uh, so the quality of my voice has always been, you know, very important to me. And as listening to this, I was thinking, why do I sound like I'm sucking on a helium balloon? I don't know. So anyway, everybody listen back to some of this commentary and, and see. I guess we should uh, run through some news here in the company. Benoit and Too Cold are going to leave right after this pay-per-view for the New Japan Heavyweight Tournament. And um, behind the scenes, one of the other strategies in cutting down the house shows is they're also going to start doing the worldwide tapings in Orlando starting in July, which is something that Bischoff put in place. And we were also able to uh, get Sabu scheduled for a tryout. What was the reputation amongst those in the business for Sabu here in 1993? Uh, I think they all thought he could do some crazy things and wild things and phenomenal things. But I also think that, well, I know a lot of people thought he was a guy that was kind of in business for himself and wouldn't do what the company wanted. Somebody that, that was the reputation. Somebody the company wanted to do stuff with was Sylvester Stallone. He actually did an interview for WCW on May 22nd, right before this pay-per-view. And Meltzer would write, it's nice to have, but I don't see it as helping much. Now, if Stallone were to work the pay-per-view in one of the faces corners, that would help out immensely because it's a mainstream tie-in that this group needs badly. How did the Sylvester Stallone thing come together? Do you recall? Yeah, Jesse Ventura uh, put it together for us. And Stallone put a WCW hat on. And we all thought that was, I mean, we all went, oh, Stallone wore a, wore a WCW hat. We thought it was a fucking big deal. In us trying to get the the rub from major media. Uh, and we all thought it was a big deal. Sure, it would have been a lot better uh, had we brought him to a pay-per-view. But uh, we didn't need to. We didn't need to pay him. We had him on TV wearing a WCW hat. And we thought it was a big deal. It was all orchestrated by Jesse Ventura. And Barry Bloom at that time. Let's talk about where the business is. WCW's average attendance in April of 92 was 2340. So 2,340 fans. A year later, they're only getting 1,520 fans. So 35% dip in your average attendance. Um, your average gate in April of 92 was $21,100. Your average gate in April of 93 is down 32.2%. We're down to $14,300. Uh, 
Uh, obviously we're not selling out any house shows and they were selling out about 12% of those in April of 92, but none in April of 93 and television ratings are down about 9% as well. Going from an average of 2.2 to a 2.0 as an example of what we're talking about, the new Orleans loop where they did shows in new Orleans and Alexandria. These are just house shows. They've got sting wrestling van Vader in a strap match on top. They draw a thousand people. Yikes. Isn't that crazy? National TV, one of the biggest stars in the business, Sting, one of the best big men, a a, a bully badass, your world champion, with a strap. With a strap. Thousand folks. Yeah. Well, uh, and and of course, the, the, the person who ended up suffering because of things being down was Dusty. Uh, and I'm not so sure what the actual timing was when he was relieved of his duties as Booker at that time. But I mean, I don't know if you think this, maybe fans think this, maybe I'm sure Meltzer thinks this, that maybe Dusty's bookings being a Booker had seen its, uh, its better days. I think a lot of people would, would say that, you know, Dusty's best booking was probably 85, 86. Right. Uh, Meltzer, go, go ahead. Maybe what worked, maybe what worked in '85 and '86 did not work in '93 and '94. I think that's the case with every Booker, though. I do think that uh, you know, there's an expiration date where you sort of need to just get out of the race car and then reinvent yourself. And if you just try to, you know, keep doing what you've been doing, fans are going to get tired of it. I mean, how long have we seen this GM and you know, evil authority figure? On the WWE now, 20 years. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, it makes me wonder, and I don't, I don't know their inner workings, Bruce may, but I just wonder what the turnover is with creative guys and what qualifies to be a creative person in WWE right now. I don't know. Meltzer would write the next step after slam Marie for WCW is the June 17th clash of the champions from Norfolk, Virginia. A major show just four days after a WWF pay-per-view. It's a free show. So the, the big, big show from WWF in such close proximity will have a negligible effect on the ratings. Here's what the tentative lineup is going to be. Vinny Vegas versus Jim Neidhart, Marcus Bagwell versus Lord Regal, um, Paul Orndorff versus Ron Simmons for the WCW TV title. Barry Windham versus Two Cold Scorpio for the NWA title. And the Hollywood Blondes are set to take on Flair and Anderson in a non title match. And the headliner looks to be, <coughs> excuse me, Sting and Davey Boy and Dustin Rhodes taking on Rick Rude, Big Van Vader, and Sid Vicious. Such a loaded roster, so much talent, so many Hall of Famers, and yet we can't get it together. No. Uh... I, I go back to this, too, and, and I know numbers for TV were down, but you were talking about, uh, and we're getting ready to get into the time limit draw here. Uh, we, uh, the numbers were down. If, I'm, if I've got income in 1993 and I'm a wrestling fan and I can watch a pay-per-view at home and I can watch a free Clash of the Champions, why would I pay to see Sting Invader in a strap match? To me, that's logic. Right. 
And again, I think what we're doing here is, and I know numbers were down as well, I think we're moving in away from the arena business. And that's why we cut the arena's shows down, or Eric did. We're moving out of the arena business into the television business. And it's, it's, it's like what's going on today. It's, it's like uh, college basketball, from what I understand, overall, with the exception of the, of the teams that win big, like a North Carolina, Duke, uh, Kentucky. College basketball, the, uh, the numbers are down. Why is the number? Why are the numbers down for live events in college basketball? Because you got a million college basketball games on TV, and I think that's what we were into there, as far as wrestling is concerned. Uh, this is Luthez. Obviously, we you know we bowed to Luthez and, and respected him, and rightfully so. And of course, Bob Geigel, who was one of the promoters. You know, did you ever see an old Bob Geigel uh, Central States? Championship wrestling, whatever they called. Do you ever see those shows? Any of that old stuff? Uh, no. One fucking camera shoot for a TV show. How about they misspelled Bob Geigel right there too? <laughs> Ta da! We strike again. I mean, it's a TV, but a, I, TV yeah. company. Yeah, I know. I but uh, well, shit. I mean, didn't we just see? Uh, didn't we just see on uh, Raging Cajun them misspell Ric Flair's name? Yep. TV company. Yeah. Right. But the old, uh, the old Kansas City wrestling, a one-camera shoot. Now, look at this. I, I don't know why they didn't come out closer together. I guess maybe that they wanted to stagger these guys here. But it's almost as if Paul Orndorff is an afterthought here, right? We follow Rick Rude. Where's Paul Orndorff? Where the fuck's Paul Orndorff, guys? Get a get a shot of Paul Orndorff. Get where, where the hell is he? God. Oh, thank God. Uh, hey, I, I, I like I to mention I like this. this team. I, I talked to a pretty famous wrestling promoter this week. Yeah, and he said, of all my podcasts, uh, the Tony Schiavone show is the best. It's not even close to him. Really? He says, I don't know how people put up a Pritchard every week. And I gave up on, on Eric Bischoff being entertaining a long time ago, but that damn Tony Schiavone. Hey, you know why? Well, first of all, Dr. Frankenstein, you made me this way. You brought out the best and worst of me at the same time. And number, <laughs> and number two, uh, I was legitimately a big time wrestling fan. So I'm, a lot of times I mark out for the shit seeing it again. I don't necessarily like to listen to what I had to say because I thought, especially near the end, I was the drizzling shits. But I, uh, I, I like watching this old stuff again. So there you go. I don't, I don't look at it. With, I don't look at it from as uh, with an eye of uh, uh, at one time running the company like Eric, or another time being an office stooge like Bruce. Mm -hmm. I look at that the eye of a fan. And I think that may be what sets us differently apart. We have fun, too, don't we? No doubt about it. Woohoo! And boy, are we going to have fun in Chicago. Oh, yeah, I'm speaking, looking forward to it. Yeah. Speaking of wrestling promoters, I don't know who that uh, longtime wrestling promoter is, but man, there's a brand new wrestling promoter on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Listen to you. What, what yes, the there is. <laughs> no, I'm not a wrestling promoter. What's wrong yeah. with you? One of these days, we're going to see a wrestling ring with one FMC.com on every side. 
That's what I'm talking about, baby. No, we're not. Yes, we are. First Family Mortgage brings you this main event. Woo! Now that, no, okay. Now I might buy a sponsorship, but I'm not going to promote matches. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, obviously your track record of selling out a fucking show in a week is not that good. Oh, a week. Yeah. It didn't take me a week. Hashtag. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I sold them VIP. Some bitches out in seven minutes. I sold oh. them silver. Some bitches out in about 29. Yeah. But and I'm not a promoter. No, I'm not. Cause it took me like, it took me like two days to sell the gold ones. Oh, Jesus. God. Hey, <laughs> You know what's funny? I can finally, I mean, I've always wanted to say this. We got it sold out hanging from the rafters like that. I can, I mean, I, that's real now, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Damn straight. So we're, we're talking, but of course, about, you're not, of course, you're not a wrestling promoter. I'm not, uh, uh, yeah, no, by the but. way, it's worth mentioning. Bruce and I will be at the house of blues on June 16th. Pick up your tickets now at brucepritchard.com. Also Rochester, July 7th, brucepritchard.com. Hey, July 15th, we didn't forget you, Pittsburgh, BrucePritchard.com. And, uh, well, we're going to have more shows too. New York City, Gramercy Theater, August, BrucePritchard.com. But the main event, Starcast.com, S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T.com. Yeah. How much money are you motherfuckers making? Jesus, man, you're you're like running house shows every week. I've never, I've never seen anything like this. Oh, which reminds me of two things. I talked to a, a, a nice gentleman who, who bought a T-shirt, and he said, hey, Bruce and Conrad are coming to Nashville, Tennessee mm-hmm. during football season. Why aren't you there? I said, well, I wasn't fucking invited. Uh, and, of course, they take all the money. That's number one. Uh, number two is have, I heard something about wanting to do a show uh, I don't even know if I was invited to this with you, me, Eric, and Bruce at the Mall of America. Have you heard that one? Yeah, the Mall of America people started tagging 83 Weeks and Eric Bischoff about trying to do a show there. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, we love the idea, but, you know, Mall of America is going to have to come off some of that coin. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that Mall of America is from our promoter. No, not the promoter. Here's the deal. Like you have nine jobs. I at this point have 11. So if we're going to forfeit our regular other paying gigs, there's got to be more in that mall of America than butt stuff and pasta mania. I mean, you're the, you're the promoter. Okay. I get it. I understand you have 11 jobs, but you're the promoter. It comes through you. It is all this shit comes. Doesn't people understand? I was sitting, I was sitting in, in night in uh, 2017 in January, I was sitting in the kitchen with my dick in my hand, trying to think, how am I going to pay for a wedding now? But out of the blue, here comes a, an email from Conrad Thompson, but now I'm not a promoter. Fuck. You come up with all this shit. <laughs> I'm just fucking, I'm just fucking along for the ride. Here's what's great. Tony Schiavone's so animated right now. He stood up. He's standing and screaming. There's no one in the press box with him, but he's no. fired up. Yes. I mean, Jesus. And then you say, I'm not, I'm not a God. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Give yourself some credit for being who you are. Did, hey, so we're going to have to have a great time in Chicago. Aren't we? I, I, did, I did have an, an old school wrestling promoter. Uh, tell me about two weeks ago that I was like, I was like the last old school wrestling promoter around. <laughs> like I'm this, I'm, he's like, 
I'm not going to do the impression, but there's an impression of this person. And he called me a huckster. And I thought, yeah. you know, I don't know that I like that necessarily, but, and he's like, no, listen, guys who weren't making money in, in the business are now back. And in some cases making more than they were their first ruin. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd make another dime in the business. And well, Conrad Thompson steps into my life. Hey, so you trying to tell me that you, that uh, we need to say something about this match, but you're trying to tell me that somewhere in Stanford, Connecticut this week, they're not saying, that motherfucker's from Huntsville, Alabama, and he's doing this? Well, I think they uh, said that before they put our dumbasses okay. on TV, you know? <laughs> you know it's so sur- my life as a wrestling fan is so weird, dude. You know, this week on, on Tuesday – we put tickets on sale for Starcast, and it was like the coolest thing ever to see it just yeah. like I'm in the back end of the site, just clicking refresh. And it's like, oh my God, people are really <laughs> into this. But then the next, I mean, that night, like once the ticket sales are, are done or not done, but you know, mostly sold out, I go eat dinner with my kid and she's in the other room and wanted to watch SmackDown and there's a commercial for something else to wrestle. And I'm on it. It's like, I'm on SmackDown. I just sold out my convention. And by the way, tomorrow I'm on X-Pac 360, like his video and, and podcast. Like what's happening with my life when a member of DX and the NWO want me on their show as a guest and I'm on a commercial for SmackDown and I, I don't know what's happening as, as, I know. as pop pop says, what's causing all this? <laughs> I know what's happening. <laughs> and I know next year, this time, buddy, it's going to be, <clears throat> I'll have to call first family mortgage. Is Mr. Thompson in shut the uh, fuck up with that? Who is this? It's Tony Schiavone. Uh, can you uh, email us at a request and he, he will get back to you pretty soon. Big deal, buddy. Big deals are coming the next year for you. Big deal. Well, well you know, I guess we should tell everybody you and I are working on something pretty big and we've yes, been working we on it for a couple of weeks now, maybe three weeks now. And we're probably going to be ready to announce this in the next week or so. And if you're a what happened when fan and you've been sort of clamoring for more, more stuff from Tony, more inclusion in what we're doing and you're, you're supporting us, we've got something fun coming. And I don't want to announce it yet, but we can tease it a little bit. Right, Tony? Yeah, we can tease it a little bit. We've got something that is going to make you uh, a, a bigger WHW fan. It's going to hopefully get you to interact more with us and even personalize what we do a little bit more because that's what you're after. That's what we're after, the connection that we have. You listen to us, you listen to our podcast, you think, man, I love those guys, and uh, I'd like to connect with them a little bit more. You're going to be able to do that, we hope, uh, what this uh, new venture and this new idea that we have. And let me ask you this, Conrad. Who came up with this idea? Go ahead. Uh, what? What? Uh, my fat ass sitting in a baseball press box. <laughs> I, I guess, it was you, I motherfucker. Guess I, I guess I did it. Okay. Yes. Look at did. this so move that we're seeing. These reversals, and finally a tombstone from Dustin Rhodes on Ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah. What a series of moves there with, you know, two big old boys. Dustin Rhodes is is a tall dude, he, and he's not a lightweight. And to be able to move like that and do that sequence of moves is very impressive to me. Yeah, you know what? Well, that's what—that's kind of the thing I always thought that that Gold Dust took away from Dustin Rhodes. I thought Dustin Rhodes was a great young worker, and then when he went and he became Gold Dust, which I love some of the shit that he and Terry did up there. 
uh, it took a, it was now more of a gimmick than it was a guy that could work. And I thought that was unfortunate. But, man, he could work. And, of course, you and I have said so many times about uh, how much we love Rick Rude and what he could do and Paul Orndorff and how much money he drew in the business and what he could do. And Kensuke Sasaki, to me, is kind of like a uh, – I don't know. It's kind of like the uh, the sore thumb and all this. I'm sorry, Dave, I said that. I apologize to Dave Meltzer. But I just don't think he fits in this match, even though Sasaki was a very good worker. Could do some great shit. And, boy, Rude Cassell, man. Could he sell or what? How about selling that atomic drop? Oh God. He's the best wow. man. One, one of my, yeah. one of my favorites to go back and watch Rick rude. I mean, yeah. such an underrated character in wrestling history. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you, sir. I guess absolutely we should tell you do. what, uh, what your boy thought. Orndorff was in rough shape with a pull growing muscle and had missed the last group of house shows. He was nowhere near a hundred percent. As you can see the pain every time he took a step, Sasaki was acknowledged as half of the tag team of the Hellraisers with Hawk match was okay, but below what you'd expect from these four, the hottest spots were Rudes missing a tackle and flying over the top rope and later Rhodes reversing a rude tombstone into one of his own, which we just saw. Right. Sasaki right. made the hot tag, does a few clotheslines, goes for the top rope. Sasaki had to wait too long for Orndorff to shove him off, which was the planned pre-finish, and then turned the wrong way when Rude tried the Rude Awakening. So the finish came off as sloppy, two stars. Yeah, the finish came off as sloppy, but you know what I liked about the finish? It's something that you never see, and we just saw it right there. Sasaki was trying to kick out of a finish, but Rude held him down. So... What he was basically doing, and we, in the business, if you're doing a job and you kick out right after the three count, you get in trouble. It's You're not putting the guy over. But they're trying to kick out of a finish. To me, shows Rude being a, a strong guy to keep his shoulders down. Here's the way he's trying to kick here. out of So it's not the traditional Rude awakening. Clearly, Sasaki doesn't know how to take it, trying to go early. It almost becomes like a reverse diamond cutter of sorts. Right. Um, either way, though, it's a, it's a good match for what it was. Right. Absolutely. It was, it was a pretty good match. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see, see rude holding him down the power of rude and he's getting out of it. And another shot of me and Larry. Hey, you know, did I ever tell you, I still got that, that tux at the house. We ought to, uh, auction that off for charity and by charity, I mean, Lois needs a new deck. <laughs> Lois needs a, yeah. Lois needs a vacuum cleaner. I, Oh, sorry. Lois needs a vacuum cleaner that she'll use. No, Lois needs a maid. Yeah, that's what it is. Did I ever tell you about, uh, on this program, have I ever told you about the uh, the automatic vacuum cleaner that I got for her for Christmas? Oh, like the Roomba? The Roomba. Yeah, it's, it's not the Roomba. It's, it's, it's the other version. It's the Samsung version, the Autobot or whatever it's called. Okay? Okay. To get the dog hair up in the kitchen, the only thing she has to do because it's docked in the kitchen. Hey, let me let me just point out. I just realized that Gordon Soley's wearing a pinky ring. Was Gordon Soley an old school pimp from way back? <laughs> he might have been. He might have been. I mean, things have come out about you know old time people. I mean, he's 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 very touched. He's almost taken a tears here several times. I don't know if that's yeah. because he's honored to be here or because he's just like a sad drunk. I don't know. No, um, no, no. I, I think this, this meant a lot to him because, you know, he was a long time host of Georgia championship wrestling and world championship wrestling pro after that. And, uh, it meant a lot to him. 
to be clear, uh, you know, I know you jumped on that line. I wasn't insinuating that he was a drunk. I'm saying sometimes when people drink too much, they get emotional or they yeah. get funny or they get huggy or touchy. And some people right. become fighters and you know, he's sort of famous, rather infamous for, uh, Hey, that's a water oh. bottle, right? Well, yeah, right. maybe, maybe, right. <laughs> you know, I just want anybody to think I call Gordon Sully a drunk. That's not my deal. I was just saying no, when you're drinking, sometimes you, yeah get a little emotional and that could be a part of it but i think it was great to have him here oh, and i, I want to I say something about here. this but let me finish this story yeah your dog hair your okay, your my dog hair okay only thing lois has to do is sit there on the counter at the counter and push a fucking button push a button push but here's a the thing fucking button. You've been she trying- won't push the fucking button now you've been trying to get her to push your button for years and years she's not gonna <laughs> She can schedule it, okay? She can schedule it at night. It'll do it by itself, and it'll redock once again. She won't do it. What the fuck? What the fuck? I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck? Hey, so anyway, that's just a slice of my life, guys, that I have to deal with. Uh, I'd like to say this. We, I guess, after this, kind of disbanded the Hall of Fame, didn't we? This is the Hall of Fame before it's time. It was, and you guys are going to honor a lot of the legends here. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting when I was doing my research for this show is to learn what the payday was. Oh. Yeah. Meltzer wrote, about 42 ex-wrestlers in all are being brought for Slamboree at $500 a person plus travel and lodging expenses. And the Sheik apparently balked at that and canceled it. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, Meltzer would write, Slambury would have been a great idea if this was baseball. Old Timers Day is traditionally one of the best drawing gimmicks for most teams. It would have been a great idea if this was basketball. The Legends game is now a successful fixture of All-Star Weekend. It would have worked in Japan. New Japan did it a few years ago. But in Japan, ex-wrestling legends like Luthez, Carl Gotch, Lord James Blears, and Billy Robinson are routinely brought in as either dignitaries or coaches to the current stars. Was it a great idea for WCW? As of right now, it doesn't appear to be the case. As of late this week, less than a thousand tickets have been sold, and WCW is doing heavy giveaways, including two-for-one coupons in the Atlanta suburbs in order to make the house at least look respectable on pay-per-view. As mentioned previously, bringing back the legends of the sport is a traditional draw in most sports and has worked well in both Mexico and Japan. In addition, the Slamboree control centers with Eric Bischoff and Gordon Soley have been some of the best produced segments WCW has done. Surely those segments should have given an extra, an extra aura to the event to make them feel as if this was something special before attending or worth ordering. Uh, there can be nitpicking about certain individuals who should have been brought in that weren't, In most cases, it was because the individual turned WCW down rather than a lack of invitation. And there's certainly a few more being brought in that it would be a stretch to call a legend. There's even one, Barry Owen, the son of longtime Portland promoter Don Owen, who to the best of my knowledge has never wrestled, was plugged by Gordon Soley as a longtime contender for the NWA Junior Heavyweight title, whose main claim to fame is being in front of the cameras as a below average ring announcer and the son of a promoter unknown outside of Oregon and Washington. 
But putting a few names aside, this is an idea that quote unquote should have worked and barring a last week flood of interest, it appears it won't work. What do you think about his analysis here that it should have worked, but for whatever reason, it just didn't translate to American wrestling. Is it because of the way it was presented? Is it, I mean, like, would it have been better if they were all just sort of paired up with young guys and they were sort of coaches and that was the angle? Or did people not really just want to buy a pay-per-view to see guys standing in a ring holding wooden planks? I just think that nostalgia was not alive like it is today at that time for wrestlers. It was a pretty good gimmick uh, to have them come in the ring. And, and I mean, look, we had Luthez. We had Mr. Wrestling 2, who was a major star in the Atlanta area in Georgia Championship Wrestling. We had Vern Gagne. We had the right people in place. But fans were just not into nostalgia like they are now. I mean, we are into a, just a fans who, and that's one of the reasons we've been successful, probably the main reason. Fans are just want to go back and relive those days. And we're reliving it, reliving it with them. And uh, back then, it just wasn't as big a deal. So I think the timing was wrong. It might work today, but it wouldn't work to have them part of a show. In other words, Vince would have never had a Hall of Fame induction on a pay-per-view, or at least maybe he had earlier, but he does his Hall of Fame inductions as a separate entity of of WrestleMania weekend or whatever. You know, business is just down here, man. Um, Sasaki Sasaki no-showed a world title shot against Barry Windham in Indianapolis on May 8th. So they gave Eric Watts a shot at the NWA title and the, the show drew 250 fans, uh, a WCW house show. Yeah. 250 fans. Yep. There you go. Hey, something about, uh, Mike Graham here. Of course, you know, Mike, uh, is no longer with us. Uh, he uh, passed away the same way his father did. And, um, uh, Mike was a good agent, buddy. I thought Mike, and of course, Mike, Mike got fired, of course, for the, uh, uh, that, uh, that mat, that shitty match, uh, in the back of a truck, if you'll recall, but Mike was a hell of an agent. Mike, uh, Mike knew the business. He could communicate. He wasn't necessarily, uh, a friend of the guys, but he, I thought he was a very good agent. I, I saw Mike set up matches and was very good to communicate that with the kids. So Eddie Graham got inducted here. And now we're going to see Lord Blears, and uh, we're going to also see, I think, uh, is this uh, John Tolis? Uh, hit on Missy Hyatt <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to hit on her here. Missy, you look beautiful, uh, and, uh, you know, I love you, and blah, 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 blah. So I think it was pretty cool to have one of the uh, the legends hit on her. <laughs> I just think it was, it, it kind of fit. What's funny is uh, he looks like Thurston Howell from Gilligan's <laughs> Island. Right. That's amazing. Um, of course, a lot of people have probably forgotten this, but the fellow on your left, not only is he a wrestling legend that everybody should know, he yeah. was also Mr. Perfect's coach a couple of years prior to this. Wow. How about that? On TV, uh, of course. I mean, that was his gimmick, coach. Right, right. Uh, and Lord Blair's, of course... I didn't know really that much about him, but I knew he was a legend. So, and I still don't, you know, if you wrestled in mid Atlantic championship wrestling, uh, 
and he gave her a monocle. Ooh, there you go. I wonder if anybody else tried Look to at give Missy a old one eye. A mon- <laughs> what? That's a monocle. Oh, the light of the show. <laughs> Didn't put it. What? Missy an old one eye. <laughs> it's a monocle. I know what it is. Oh God. See? Ain't just me. It ain't just me saying this shit. This is about to be the worst match on the show. Now, yeah. as a reminder, Sting is supposed to be taking on Scott Norton, who's a big star in New Japan. Uh Meltzer would say that match was too early anyway. They shouldn't be doing it yet. Instead, they have to call a pivot and they need somebody who can be uh, an opponent with a name. Yeah. And we just got fired and is in, uh, had a legendary backstage fricus with Vince McMahon, right? So here he is, the former nails here being called the prisoner, but still the orange jumpsuit, identical deal, even carrying the, um, the nightstick yeah, to the, the ring. nightstick. Right. This is going to win the worst match in the wrestling observer reader poll. They're going to go five minutes and 16 seconds. Meltzer would write fans chanted bullshit. When they saw nails come out instead of Norton, a waste of sting negative one star. It was a waste of sting. I agree to the, uh, but look at it this way. Worst match on the card. Absolutely agree. A waste of sting. Absolutely agree. But here was a guy who choked sting choked him down, tried to hang him with a, uh, with the cable, the video cable. And what happened? Sting still won. So we got something out of it, right? Yeah. I mean, if he would have come in and choked Sting and choked him down, choked him and Nick Patrick would have thrown it out, disqualification, that would have really been bad. But Sting endured all this and still won the match. So I think we got a little bit out of it that we're that we're not really focusing on here. It's just my thought. By the way, anytime I see nails, I think of that movie, The Shocker. Did you ever see that movie? It's a horror movie. No. No. So I'm not a horror movie guy. Um the the deal is Shocker came out in like nineteen eighty nine. And the story is there's this prisoner who's been sentenced to execution. He's supposed to go to the electric chair. And he sits down in the electric chair and they try to fry him, but he doesn't die. <laughs> and then his spirit like possesses different people. And so he's got like this bad leg and this limp. There's this famous scene where this kid becomes possessed and she starts dragging her leg. It's fucking hysterical. Uh, th- there, there's a little, uh, wrestle crap style movie for you for the weekend, boys and girls. If you want to check it out, shocker 1989, I think it's even on blu-ray now it's a, it's a west craven movie i can't believe you never saw this no i don't watch west i, I don't watch horror movies i don't it's not really a horror movie it's fucking super campy terrible okay well you know unless it's like the avengers or spider-man or batman or star wars or star or, trek i'm not really into it really or, or porn you watch porn a lot of porn what a lot of porn no 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 you don't watch no. porn no We've okay. got, we got uh, all these porn stars listening to our show. You're not checking out their stuff? No, and, and I appreciate them listening to our show, but no, I don't. Oh, see? I don't. I, see, I look, I don't. I think you're getting out of here because one of those girls told me she sent you a whole box of DVDs. <laughs> well, she's got the wrong Tony Schiavone. And what, what made me laugh, though, is not that you asked for porn, but that you wanted them in DVD form. No, no. That is, that, that no, that's wrong. No. 
See, you you try to uh, I have it on- insinuate you try to insinuate a lot of things with me, but at my age, at my age, porn does me no good. Well, that's not what Mike no. today said. Mike today, who we know is the porn king of California. Um, <laughs> what? Stop! What? Stop! I'm not. <laughs> time out. He doesn't even live time in California. Out. It's a joke. Okay. Yeah. Right. I should. I know it's a joke. But he's going to get tweeted that this week. He doesn't check his Twitter. At real Mike today. Um, <laughs> let's talk about what <laughs> they did here with this. Thank God we're. They then announced that, that the prisoner, the, the prisoner, had done something to Scott Norton, and he'd be facing Sting on television yeah. on Saturday. They announced that Nails had injured Norton and would be facing Sting. It sounds like a last-minute threatening legal letter came from Connecticut, which caused them to not use the Nails name which is the subject of some legal volleyball right now. However, it was almost science fiction as the ultra prepared Tony Schiavone, who did his best job ever on a major show, suddenly developed a major memory loss during the match as he acted as if nobody knew who the prisoner was or his background, despite that almost everyone watching knew both, especially since he wore the exact same ring outfit and the nightstick as when he was with Titan. I guess the WCW jokesters got their little revenge by announcing the prisoner from green Bay, which is allegedly where Wacoss did that number on Vince McMahon, which has resulted in the lawsuit and countersuit. Right. How fucking awesome is that? That you not only let him wear his old gimmick, but you say he's from the city where he had the fight with Vince. Yeah, that was, that was funny. And you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't like, uh, have a memory lapse. I, I couldn't say those things. So Jesus Christ. No, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess we should mention here, um, everybody's sort of critical of this card before it actually happens. Um, Meltzer would say big Van Vader should be wrestling cactus Jack. If they would have capitalized on a rare angle that garnered interest rather than letting it slip away, there seems to be no reason for the company's top draw sting to be wrestling Scott Norton, at least this early in the game, Barry and Arn have done little to garner interest in their match. And there's probably more interest in seeing Wyndham against Ric Flair and Anderson and Flair challenged the Hollywood blondes. Speaking of the blondes who are the surprise, both in and out of the ring highlight for the entire promotion based on this week's television, we're curious to see them against Flair and Anderson and then Rick Steamboat and Shane Douglas. And while the dos hombres idea was kind of funny and well executed, although hardly original to longtime fans, which is what they seem to be gearing this show up for. They have yet to do anything to give a logical reason for a cage match or do anything that would get a cage stipulation over. It should be noted that Max Payne versus Van Hammer was pulled from the show and instead Payne will be doing a guitar solo. And based on what I'm hearing, they're still planning to reintroduce the horseman. Although the Tully Blanchard deal is dead because the two couldn't reach an agreement. So heading into this, everybody sort of knew Man, we're all over the place, but I think some of this is sort of out of your hands in that nobody knew that the, the Pillman Austin stuff on flair for the gold was going to get over to the level it did. I mean, they weren't even really supposed to be a tag team. Chris Benoit sort of playing hokey pokey with what he could or couldn't do with a contract is the only reason they were put together. And now they're over like Rover. And that seems to really be hurting, you know, the idea of doing something with Shane Douglas and Ricky steamboat, because they were the sort of the top team and now the Hollywood blondes are going to be in that spot, but Shane Douglas has got an injured shoulder. So they're doing the masks. There's a lot going on here. 
Yeah, there is a lot going on. And, you know, again, in hindsight being what it is, maybe uh, Dave Meltzer should have booked the show and it would have been a better show. Sounds like he should have. Here's a shitty graphic once again, Conrad. Beach Blast! 1993 on Sunday, July 18th. Only on pay-per-view. Not selling shit, man. Not selling shit. Look at this. This is pretty cool with the the cage going behind us. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're trying to get it around the announcers here. I thought this was a pretty neat shot. It kind of lets you see. There's Will Bird. Big guy in the glasses. Will was behind the scenes with us and a pretty good dude. Uh, and I think that was Klondike who was up carrying that cage. And now here, the crusher and the one and only Ox Baker. You ever read any stories about Ox Baker? Yeah, lots of stories. I actually have one myself. I met Ox before okay. he died at the yeah. NWA Legends Fan Fest. He always looked like a, a super villain from uh, Superman to me. Right. But, but either way, yeah, he um, he was doing meet and greets, and I was with my lady friend at the time, and he growled, I want your body, and like <laughs> pulled her in and gave her a hug and nuzzled himself against her bosom, and I was like, yeah, it's an old pervy dude. I don't know. I mean, what do you say when an old man, I mean, you just, you just, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like snots in Christmas vacation. You just let him finish. <laughs> exactly. He was, uh, yeah, he was a classic heel, but he always, you know, I used to, he used to sit in the, in the locker rooms with a pipe. Okay. Sit in the locker rooms with a pipe and, and talk and tell jokes he was really, really funny, over-the-top funny. But he'd also, and I noticed this finally when I, I got to meet him a couple of times, that he never shut the fuck up. He just went on and on and on. He'd sit down and talk to him, and, and guys would talk to him, and finally guys would just fucking drift away and go do other things because if they didn't, they would stay there for hours. So I really thought that he was a very intelligent, uh, funny guy. And I think, I don't know what he's doing here, but I think he's getting ready to cornhole Eric Bischoff would be my thought. Maybe if you're not uh, familiar with Ox Baker, you should go look up Ox Baker's carryout service. He had a phenomenal gimmick that was way ahead of its time where he would bring like an, uh, an old school military gurney. That's sort of the canvas uh, and, and wood to make like a gurney, like a stretcher. And, uh, he would bring it to the ring. The idea that he gives you this hard punch and then you're not walking out of here. Just old school innovation. You know, he was yeah. one of the originals who put, you know, the iron on letters on the t-shirts, like the great heart puncher and Florida belongs to Ox Baker. Just an old school heel. One of the best. Yeah, he really was. And, uh, one of the real characters in the backstage area as well. So, uh, there you go. I He's was glad I, I was glad I got to meet him. Really loving up on Eric Bischoff, who uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. was That's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Yeah, Eric. I know. Eric, I know Eric's probably up for a good lap dance every now and again, but not <laughs> probably not that kind. Look at this probably silly again. shit. I mean, you, you think there, Eric? Eric would be too old right now to get a lap dance. No, Eric's not too uh, old for a lap dance. Well, okay, he's fucking old. He's older than I am. No, I get that. Hey, but he. Uh, He's, 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 yeah. Okay. Just want to see how far you would go to defend Eric. Uh, 
And these are dos amigos, dos oh, hombres. What the fuck are you talking about defend Eric? Yeah, just wanted to see if you would. Well, I mean, listen, I'm just saying I don't want to sit over here and say the dude's wiener don't work. If you want to get up here and say your wiener don't work, that's cool. But I'm not going to speak for his wiener. I don't even know his wiener. I think my wiener works. Uh, but you're not I'm sure. Just, you're not sure. Because I don't know where to find it. See? There's a problem. But I think it works. Button on a fur uh, coat shirt. It's available now. Lowestrules.com. Yeah. I, was just, I was the other day. I was with a, a, a couple of young guys. And that's as far as I'll go. I will not go into details. And we were walking by this place, and the two guys says, "Hey, uh, Big Tone, a lot of good-looking women in there." And I said, "Those days have passed me by, guys. Those days have passed me by." Uh, after watching this match, you know what I did uh, last night? I was watching this match. I went back and I watched Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon. Really? Yeah. There's a there's a whole section of it on the on the network. Uh and I had not seen m- most of it. But I got to say, shit was awesome. It was one of the gra- it was it was one of the great angles ever. Maybe the best angle ever that I've ever seen. It's the one that finally beat you guys. Yeah, it is. It just Vince's reaction uh, stone cold being stone cold, you know, dumping the, uh, dumping all the, uh, coming out with the Zamboni and, uh, okay. There's Barry Bloom and, uh, there is Mitch. He's from Disney. I can't remember what his name was, but he worked for Disney. He was one of our big supporters and also one of the guys that helped us get into Disney as well. I'm sure Eric knows his name. Let's, uh, but- Let's talk about the the Cactus Jack thing for a minute. After being the hottest angle in wrestling just one week ago, the Cactus Jack angle was pretty much killed off this weekend. The only acknowledgement was an interview that seemed designed more to getting over the new trainer than getting Jack over. From the interview, it appears that they're going the direction of Jack suffering amnesia and coming back at some point not remembering anything. Yeah. What do you remember about that power bomb on the floor and then following it up with fucking amnesia? Yeah, I was, I was involved in all of that. I was, I was involved in all of those shoots and everything. Uh, if you go back and you look at the uh, cactus Jack videos of his, his amnesia, uh, that one little kid, uh, that cactus Jack did not remember one of those videos, his son was actually my youngest son, Tim. Uh, who was in the video. And uh, I remember us shooting the videos and I thought the videos, I thought the videos were, were very well done. Now the angle may have been the shits, but you know, for a bizarre character that Cactus Jack was, I thought it was, I, I, at the, at the time I didn't mind those videos at all. How much were they, how badly were they received? Do you think? You know, well, I mean, you said you just said fucking amnesia. So apparently they weren't received too no, well. I'm just saying like it is, it is a little, uh, sort of WCW mini movie shit, as opposed to just traditional wrestling angles. Like nobody's going to have amnesia and do those vignettes in Crockett in 1986. No, they're not. Not, but yet. you know, you know, you, you got to try something different and you know, dusty was always big into movie making. I mean, he was there when we did the Desperados. That was movie making. 
and uh, with Dutch Mantel, Randy Colley, and Black Bart. Uh, so we were in then. We got to, you know, we, we were able to do those things. So we did them. What the fuck? We should, we should remind you here that, uh, this Dos Ambrose thing is, uh, where the blondes are trying to figure out who it is by taking the masks off. And everybody sort of knows that one of them is steamboat, but at different times, Shane Douglas is quote unquote under the hood, but really it's Brad Armstrong because Shane's had the injured shoulder. And so I guess this is a way to sort of keep the feud going. And not just throw it all away. Just put them under max and call them something else. Although sure. maybe that's a little silly, but maybe it's an easy out. Yeah. And of course, uh, at, at near the end of the mask, uh, the match steamboat's going to take the, uh, the mask off and reveal who he is, which I thought was kind of pretty cool. He already talked. So we knew who he was. If he knew his voice, I thought it was kind of cool. But the fact that the other dos hombres didn't unmask, uh, as we take another look at, uh, Barry Bloom and, God, what is Mitch's name? Uh, but he was a, a big guy in Disney at that time. Uh, McConnell? Is that his last name? No. I don't think it was Mitch McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put that together until I said Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. <laughs> Might not be him. I don't know. Hey, but, you know, this, this uh, again, we've got some guys who can really work in this match, buddy. And as we know how over the uh, the Hollywood Blondes were, uh, Steamboat's going to do a phenomenal uh, splash off the top. I thought this was a good match. It's going to be the I second, enjoyed this match. second best match uh, in the Wrestling Observer Reader Poll. Uh, here, we should remind you, and this is why you like this match so great, uh, Rick Steamboat's under a hood, and the other hood is Tom Zink. Uh, so they're going to go 16 minutes and five seconds. They're doing this ombre's gimmick again because Shane Douglas is suffering from a separated shoulder. And you actually acknowledge the, the injury as soon as the match began, but you're calling it a knee injury because they've worked this knee injury angle from a few months prior. Yeah. Uh, Pillman is even working this match with a broken nose, which happened at TV in Knoxville. And Meltzer would say the crowd is, is pretty dead because it's obvious one guy is steamboat, but it's also obvious. The other guy is not Douglas, but nobody right. figures out really that it's Tom Zink. Um, the two guys that they're showing are Barry Bloom, Jesse Ventura's agent, and almost everybody else's. And the other fellow is Mitch Ackerman. Mitch Ackerman. Walt there you Disney's go. television division. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, they've been attending a lot of the pay-per-views, but they're showing them here for significance that we don't really know. Um, Meltzer would write, the only speculation I've heard is they may have something to do with the new deal of television tapings in Orlando, but the way they were shown, it's almost like they were going to get the cage to magically levitate, causing a screw job finish. Since everyone has such fond memories of the capital combat 90 finish <laughs> overall, a very good match with them creatively using the cage at the finish. Steamboat took off his mask and did a spectacular cross body off the top of the cage on both men and the ref counter two and the bell rang seemingly to signify a title change. It got real confusing from there since the match was restarted and several near falls until Austin hit the stun gun on zinc for the pin Three and a half stars. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mitch Ackerman and Barry Bloom uh, were there because of the Disney deal. That's what it was. That is why they were there. Uh, and Mitch was a big supporter of us. Really was. And we appreciate every, everything he did. What kind of sell job was that 
on a gut shot. Jesus Christ. Well, not everything worked, but the fact is that these guys could really go at it and were really good at what they were doing. Uh, but uh, again, the I don't know, just the concept of a cage. I don't get it. You know, Rick, Ricky Steamboat at this time in his career uh, let everybody know that because of AIDS and the AIDS virus and the AIDS scare, which was back in 93 pretty prevalent uh, in the news, Ricky Steamboat would do no more blade jobs. He had absolutely says, you know what, I'll work, I'll do this, I'll do that, but I'm not cutting my forehead anymore because of the AIDS scare. Uh, but then we see a cage match here, and then we're going to see Barry Windham uh, bleed profusely. Uh, to me, which kind of, I, I don't know, old school guy, uh, fans, you think about this too. Maybe you're not as old school as I am, but old school guy, if you got cage, you got to have blood. Right. Am I right? I just, or it defeats the purpose of the cage. That was it. When I was a fan and they say that there was a cage match in the Greensboro Coliseum, I fucking went because I knew somebody was going to bleed. Um. Uh, but that does not take away from how good this match was. Let's talk about what's next because the company is sort of uh, all over the place. And in terms of, hey, how can we hit the reset button? You know, they're, they're not drawing with Sting and Vader on top. Some of the house shows are like 300, 400 fans. You know, we mentioned one earlier where it was Eric Watts and Barry Windham for 250 they think they need something big. So they start negotiating with, of all people, the ultimate warrior. And they're mm. trying to get him to headline the Beach Blast pay-per-view in Gulfport, Mississippi, uh, teaming with Sting to take on Sid Vicious and Big Van Vader. Now, that plan, of course, falls through, and we've covered this before. It's really going to be Sting and Davy Boy taking on Sid and Vader. But one of the ideas was to have it be the warrior and Sting. Do you remember hearing about that? Oh, yeah. It was like the return of the old Blade Runners. Right. Uh, and, yeah, w I heard that discussion, uh, but nothing ever materialized out of it. And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders at it. Uh, but, hey, you know what it was? It was Eric trying to do something bigger. And that, to me, signaled that Eric was, in the office to me, it signaled that Eric was trying to was trying to really bump. It was just Eric was, I thought I'm not trying to kiss his ass here. I thought he was way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. Dusty used to say, Eric's got a vision. He's got a vision that no one has ever had running this business since the end of the Crockett era. Eric had a vision and Eric's vision started with trying to bring the ultimate warrior in now probably even probably started before that but that was you know i i had heard that uh that idea back then uh Eric, one of eric's visions is to involve scriptwriters, and it was reported in the observer Scriptwriters started writing some of the interviews guys have to do this past week except more oh my uh, gosh go ahead expect more cute puns and less i hate your guts and here's why interviews just okay. a hunch, but that would seem to me to be a sign of Eric Bischoff's power as opposed to Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson. It yeah. is sort of funny that, you know, it 
you can immediately draw the line. If it's Oli and it's Dusty, it's I hate your guts and here's why. And if it's yeah. a script writer, it's a pun, or at least from his perspective. It's also in the Observer that Sid was uh, talked about as coming in for a long time before he actually signed the contract and then wound up actually moving to Atlanta. And Colonel Robert Parker, a.k.a. Robert Fuller, was largely being brought in as uh, a way to sort of appease Sid. Do you remember that being the case that those guys were sort of attached at the hip? Uh, yeah, they were. <laughs> There's no question because Sid was quote unquote, a loose cannon. If you want to say steroid rager or whatever you can, uh, that's your own preference. But yeah, that, that was the case there. Uh, let me tell you a script writer that, that Eric uh, toyed with. I don't think at this era, but I think later on down the road, because I met him in the office and it kind of blew me away. Dave Thomas. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I mean. You know, he and uh, Rick Moranis and uh, Strange Brew. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, From, I guess he was from, uh, well, uh, uh, First City TV or whatever that was. Second second City Television. Second, thank you. Second City Television. Uh, I saw him in the office one day and he was talking to Dusty. And, uh, there was talk about him coming in as one of our script writers. So, yeah, there was. And it wasn't, again, this was later than this show, but that kind of blew me away. So, you know, look, I don't know if I agree with script writing wrestlers. I, I agree with that outline, and I agree with some of the points that you need to hit. But writing the scripts out, you know when that first started? Uh, when I first got a wind of it was Saturday night's main event when I started working for Vince and uh, Dick Ebersol's people came in and they would write out the actual interviews for Saturday night's main event. They would write out the scripts. Uh, so I can understand outlines. I'm not so sure scripted interviews. Look, you think Ric Flair would have ever done well with a scripted interview? Well, I mean, he did. I mean, he did. He did scripted interviews with the WWE for a long time, yeah. but everybody. I know he did. Nobody goes back and plays those like they do 1985. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And it was back then and back in the old TBS uh, studio days where Rick would get on the mic and he would talk until Dusty was in the backstage area. And Dusty said, wrap him up until Dusty got to the point to where he thought that Ric Flair, uh, had said enough or had made his point. And why did you watch those old TV shows for the interviews? That's why you watched it. You didn't watch it for the job matches, the enhancement matches. You watched it for some of the angles, but you watched it for the interviews. And, and again, I'm telling you, that part of the business is gone. It is. That magic part of the business is gone. Sorry to say. Let's talk about, um, the night before Meltzer would write, really don't have a lot of details regarding the weekend other than the slam feast drew two to 300 fans to the CNN center the previous night to have dinner with the legends of wrestling all were cordial, but largely stayed in character. And, um, that's sort of shocking to me that you're going to put on an event like that where the legends are wrestling and you only draw two to 300 fans for it. Uh, I'm trying to remember where that was and maybe two or 300 was as most that we could put in there. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, it's not like it's a house show where you have 5,000 people or whatever, or in our case, 200 people yeah. at times. I'm glad you mentioned that because right before this pay-per-view, you guys did a show in New Brockton, Alabama. What, do you Are you familiar with New Brockton, Alabama? <laughs> no, are you? No, that's what I was going to say. Like, as I'm talking to you, I'm like, not exactly sure where I have to look at. Oh, it's in Coffee County. So, okay. Um, there you go. New Brockton. Who would have fucking thought you guys would run that? Well, probably Gary Juster would have thought that. So it's sort of like <laughs> between Montgomery and Dothan, not too terribly far from like Panama city. Anyway, okay. you guys ran a show here, drew a fucking thousand people. Yeah. Isn't no, wait, anything, I, wait, everything hang, in Alabama? Let me, let me pack that up. There are okay. a thousand people in the town. You ran a okay. thousand person town uh-huh. and you drew a hundred people. Okay. Well, we got 10%. That's a fucking 10% of the population came out to see us. That's that's a, that's a stark contrast to the old Tony Uh, Schiavone because you found the positive, but let me just say a hundred paying fans, a hundred. Unfortunately, through this talk, we just saw that great spot from steamboat. Uh, I, I advise you to go back and see that again. Isn't it true that everything in Alabama is between Huntsville, Birmingham, Dothan and Montgomery, and that's about it. Why would you lump Dothan in there? Like Birmingham, okay. Huntsville, Mobile, those are our big cities. All right, there's the stun gun. One, okay. two, three, there's your finish. Yep. Tom Zink. Oh, it's been a while since we heard the Tom Zink song. Hit it. <laughs> Tom Zink. Dun, 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 dun. Tom Zink. Dun, dun, dun. Let me tell you why. He's the guy to take the stun gun. Tom Zink. Dun, 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 dun. Tom Zink. And his thunder broke the grease slapper once he's on your tail. He won't quit. Just ask Brian Pillman because he wants some tail. That's Tom Zink. Tom Zink. I think you're way ahead of me because I just saw the stun gun. How does how does your video always slow down, motherfucker? Give everybody. I don't the- know. I don't know. I'm I'm we're seeing the I'm seeing the replay right now of Steamboat coming up off the top, and oh, it's it's very well done. Two hours six minutes fifty five seconds. I just think that maybe the internet in Alabama speeds up for some reason. Maybe they're on moonshine. I don't know. You don't think it's that yours is slow? You think mine's fast? No, I mean I'm good. Yes. Okay. By the way, it would come out uh, of this, that Gordon Soley is going to take over the event center slots in the place of the departed Tony Gilliam. Your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tony got a little bit of trouble. What did he do? Uh, I I probably, I I probably shouldn't say fuck that. Tell us. Well, okay. The word was that he had falsified expense reports. Oh, there you go. Okay. Now I don't know if that's true. There's rumor innuendo. Uh, t- Tony works, uh, I think Tony works for, uh, in Atlanta somewhere. And that's rumor and innuendo. It may not be true. Hey, let me but tell I, you, uh, this dusty roads promo right here. We're talking over, yep. you need to go back and listen. Yeah. I mean, th- <laughs> he was talking him into the thing here. He's getting fired up. The longer he goes, the more fired up he gets. And eventually he gets the pop and takes his jacket off. Like he's about to whip somebody's ass. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like they were doing an angle between he and, uh, and the mask assassin. It is sort of interesting too, that, you know, we just saw him on TV. I mean, like wrestling a couple of years prior to this and right. he's positioned here with, uh, Stu Hart who once yeah. wrestled Moses. <laughs> yeah. Stu was, uh, 
Of course, you know, here's Johnny Walker. Uh, you know what? I remember my first time I saw Johnny Walker without the mask in the backstage area. It was not here. It was earlier. And I remember thinking, who is this old fucker in the back? I mean, even Jim Cornell used to say Johnny Walker, when he would take his mask off, even back in the uh, 80s, looked like he was 90 years old. But he could he could go, man. He was uh, he was quite a legend in the Georgia Championship Wrestling days. Brian Pillman is going to miss a bunch of dates after that match that we just saw. Uh, he was sort of down in his back, but he he does make TV. Uh, since we're talking about Dusty and him being on camera here, I guess we should mention that it was reported to the Observer from at least one source that Dusty Rhodes wanted to run an angle the night before Slamboree which would have resulted in him and Dick Murdoch joining up as a tag team here to take on Tex and Shanghai, but mm. it was vetoed. Do you remember there being some discussion about yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, and Eric did not want Dusty to work. And that was the end of that. Yeah. The Godwins against the outlaws, right? Yeah. Yeah. You guys, yeah. uh, dispatched blackjack and, um, the assassin, to go do tryouts at the Tampa Sportatorium, and you're going to sign three wrestlers to six month developmental deals at 300 bucks a week. One of them is David Heath, who would go on to be Gangrel. Um, kind of interesting that well, kind of ahead of our time, right? Yeah, developmental. I mean, when you say the word developmental, you understand what it means now in this era, but how about developmental back in 1993? Right. Again, Eric had a vision. He really, really did. And you know what? You know what uh, I thought set Eric apart from, from anybody else I worked with? What's that? And maybe he didn't have it all the time, but was his fucking confidence in his decisions. He really felt, and this is why one of the reasons he got the job, he really felt that he was the man for the job. And he really felt in his mind that, that, he, that he could do it. And I remember him telling me, he says, I love to announce. I really enjoy announcing. But what I like more than anything else is doing deals, making deals. And uh, he had an abundance of confidence, and I always admired that about him. Well, this is an Eric Bischoff suck-up day, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was wondering, yeah. you know, when you were going to pop it out of your mouth. Hey, so <laughs> Barry Wyndham coming to the ring here, sporting the big gold belt. Does this feel like a little too late for Barry? You know, I've, I've always thought Barry was one of the best wrestlers in the company. I'm a big fan of Barry, but him with the world title here, even though it's not really the world title, I guess it's the international, but the big gold belt was always the real world title to me. And right. Man, what, what, how cool would it have been if, if Arn would have had a shot to be that champion? Anyway, Barry, a little too late, man. I feel like if that would have happened, you know, in uh, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, but here in 93, it just doesn't feel the same to me. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you how what three to four years means in, in professional wrestling. Uh, when this match took place, and, and I heard where the finish would be, I was kind of disappointed because I thought to myself, why not give Arn a shot? Why not let him raise the big gold belt and have that on his resume, right? And have that, uh, have that a part of Arn Anderson's legacy. Uh, it, 
it couldn't have hurt. They could have switched it back the next one. I, I just, I never did see that. I never did see, but I guess, again, you know, Dusty always thought Arn is a great hand and a great performer, uh, but not giving him the world title. They should have switched it right here. I mean, he's in his home state. He's a Rome, Georgia, flapjack redneck wino. I mean, the flapjack redneck. And uh, I just uh, think he should have won the title here. So. Let me mention that, uh, I guess, behind the scenes, we should say that we both think Arn Anderson is the fucking, you know, top five best that ever did it. Yep. And so we're homers and we can admit that, but Meltzer liked the match too, man. He says very good action hampered by a lame finish and the fact that they should have gotten, uh, at least two, these two, at least five more minutes, Wyndham juiced at five minutes from a guardrail shot, a lot of big bumps by both men. Anderson threw down referee, Randy Anderson, allowing Wyndham to sneak up from behind and nail him with the belt for the pin three and a half stars. He liked it. And overall yeah. the fans at home did too. It's the third best match on the Wrestling Observer reading poll. Of course, Vader and uh, Davey Boy are going to get the top spot. Then the Blondes and Dos Ombres. Barry Windham and Arn Anderson come in third. The Scorpio Bagwell taking on Eaton Benoit is fourth. Dory Funk and Bockwinkle got fifth. The worst match, according to the readers of the Wrestling Observer, was Sting and Prisoner, followed yep. by Armstrong and T-Bolt taking on Koloff and Rashi. And uh, in third... The third worst match, Sid Vicious and Van Hammer, which I actually liked and don't understand why people shit. Overall, this this uh, show gets 36% thumbs up, 33% thumbs down, and 30% thumbs in the middle. It's about the mm. most even voting I've ever seen on The Observer. What would you think? Well, at the time, I was given a thumbs up because I was into all the nostalgia and I loved Arn Anderson and Barry Windham. I thought Vader and Davey Boy Smith had a hell of a match. Uh, I thought the cage match was great. Uh, looking back on it now here, uh, many, many years later, uh, I give it thumbs in the middle. Your perspective changes, Conrad. You know that. Sure. Listen, I yeah. feel differently about a lot of stuff. One of the things right. that I've always uh, found interesting, though, is the the possibilities at least in this era of a buyout and we just talked about that last week that potentially there was a cable company trying to per, you know being interested in buying the company in 1990 well it's happening again here there's uh it's reported in the observer that the TCI Time Warner buyout of the controlling interest in TBS is uh again part of the discussion and imagine how everything would have been different had that happened in 93 yeah I know. Uh, and of course, you know, with the, with the buyout of Turner by time Warner, and then AOL coming in later, you know, that was once, 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 uh, Ted Turner was out of the, out of the chair, so to speak. Uh, it, we turned the hourglass over and the sands were dripping till the very end. Boy, that was pretty profound. Don't you think it was, Speaking of drip, you can get Shivani drip at LoisRules.com. Look at you. You're figuring it out. Yes, I yes, I am, Mr. Promoter. Yes, I am. Um <laughs> at the next set of tapings, you guys are gonna debut Chris Champion doing a Japanese martial arts gimmick using the name <sighs> Yoshi Kwan. What's your favorite yeah. Yoshi Kwan match? <laughs> uh, uh the one where he debuted. 
uh, hey, Chris Champion and uh, the other kid, the new breed, they were pretty fucking good back in the 80s, man. I'm not arguing that. Yeah, they were pretty fucking good. And, of course, they had that terrible wreck that completely turned their careers around. Chris Walker and Robbie V are reported in the Observer as being gone. Uh, and he says, although I doubt many even realized they were here in the first place. Did you ever meet Rob Van Dam when he was in here in the early nineties? He was working for I, you guys as Robbie V. No, just in passing. No, not really. It's reported coming out of this show too. Not too terribly long, maybe a week or two later. The Shane Douglas is actually done with the company. Although the details of the departure are sketchy, uh, but money was no doubt the crux of it, which is maybe why they're doing this. Uh, hood angle, which most people thought at the time was just for an injury. What do you remember about Dean Doug or Shane Douglas's run coming to an end here? Yeah, I'll, what I remember about Shane Douglas's run coming to an end is is Shane was kind of like uh, a Tully Blanchard. Uh, not that he was difficult to work with, but he was uh, he was concerned about himself and concerned about his gimmick, and he would not take uh, he would not take much bullshit. You know, his runs came to an end a couple of times for us. But you know what? I got to say this about Shane Douglas. He got the walk to the ring with Francine, which to me would be like a big time high spot for me. So there you go. A high spot coming out of this show, though, as you guys actually get in touch with Michael Buffer, who is clearly the most famous, you know, boxing ring announcer at the time. And he's right. going to do the clash. So that's a pretty big deal for Eric Bischoff to put together, right? Yes. Again, Eric, Eric thought uh, bigger than we did. And Eric would actually, I mean, there were, there were times years prior to this that we think, Hey, wouldn't it be good to do this? Or wouldn't it be good to do that? And we would think about it, but never act on it. Eric would actually act on it. And it made a difference. You think I'm sucking up to Eric enough here on this program? I just no, maybe just a little more. Uh, Sting, Davy Boy, <laughs> Sid Vicious, and Vader uh, around the same time shot the little mini movie on the beach in Tampa that they <laughs> spent eighty grand on, which we've covered before for Beach Blast. Yeah. Um, if you've missed that episode, it's available in the archives. Go dig it out. You, you're gonna yeah. love it. Beach Blast ninety three something to wrestle dot com is where you can catch the Bruce Pritchard episodes. And WHW Monday is where you can catch the Tony Schiavone ones. And eventually, 83 weeks is where you'll see all of Eric Bischoff's. Um, I want to mention that uh, the news in the real world was that uh, Ric Flair was opening a Gold's Gym on May the 1st. And he had Randy Savage coming in as a special guest four days later. Any sort of heat from the company on Rick using a WWF star when he's here with WCW? Uh, I don't know. Eric can answer that. I, I, I never did hear of any. Okay. Um, but I would think that logically there would be what, uh, what goals Jim would this be? The one in Charlotte? That's right. You know, he ordered, he opened a string of them, but this was his first one, I believe. Right. Didn't he open up one in St. Martin and yeah. it got flooded out. That's right. The, the hurricane yeah. took it. Right. And when would that, that was, I think, before the Charlotte one for some reason. Or I don't know if I got my my dates right or timeline right on that. But I always thought, why open one in St. Martin? What the fuck? I mean, go to Miami, Florida and open one. But who am I to question that? 
So Barry Windham is, is bleeding here, and it's a pretty good cut. And he's opened up, and it's, uh, uh, again, we saw a cage match with no blood, and now we got Wyndham bleeding uh, here. It's going to even get worse. But, uh, uh, again, Meltzer's right. The two great performers know how to work a match, know how to tell a story in a match. Uh, and, uh, again, I see this again. Second time I've watched it here this week. Uh, but... Uh, God, Orange should have won the title here. Sorry. Would have been great. Sorry. Yeah, it would have been great. And I know I'm harping on it. I'm sorry. Can't go back and change it, but there you go. But let's hear it for Arn, right? Still working in the business? Still making money on the business? Probably has a lot of travel and a lot of headaches, but Arn can set up a match, man. Look at that spine buster. From Arn Anderson, out of desperation, but he couldn't cover him because both men are too spent. Great storytelling in the ring. Tremendous storytelling in the ring, and I'm not so sure how much that's done anymore. Wyndham is going to walk away with the belt, and we're getting close here now to the to the end of this matchup. Uh, Wyndham was very good at, at the death walk, man. He, he could death walk with anybody. Look how he slowly walks and carrying the belt, trying to catch his breath. Obviously waiting on Arn to catch up with him, but he was very good at the death walk. And here comes one of my favorite people in the world, Martin Lundy from Rome, Georgia. Wow, Wyndham takes a good bump over the top. I enjoy watching this match, Conrad. I know we've had a lot of uh, talk about some other things during this, but I really enjoy it. I really do. Two old school guys doing what they yeah. do best. I mean, at different yeah. times, everybody had silly gimmicks in their promotion, but man, you guys really had some talent here. Yeah. You know, Arn Anderson uh, never did really have a silly gimmick. He was the enforcer. He worked with the cigar store Indian, as he said, and Larry Zabisco and, but, uh, he was always Arn Anderson, and there's your finish. Uh, and they're going to show in slow motion. Uh, this is, and here's the one, two, three. They're going to show in slow and uh, slow motion here. Easy for you to uh, say. Yes, apparently so. Uh, how you should hit a guy in the head with a belt, and how you should sell it, because Wyndham's hit first glanced off Arn's shoulder. But when you look at it, probably, they probably shouldn't have shown the slow motion here. When you look at it in real time, it looks pretty good. Now, I'm seeing Wyndham come off with a clothesline right now. You're probably ahead of me. Uh, and then Wyndham's going to go in with the belt. And this is where – this is a guy knowing how to hit a guy in the head with an object. No doubt. Bam. Barry's forearm – probably connected first with Arn Anderson's head, glanced off his shoulder. The forearm was on the belt. It looked good when it happened, and he protected Arn by doing it. I Just the, wow, the magic of wrestling, what it used to be and what it meant to me at one time. That genie's out of the bottle, boys. That is out of the bottle. You sound a little depressed it's, about it. Well, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot that does to depress me about this. When I uh, when I uh, when I open up a a show on the WWE Network, Conrad, uh, 
and I see the disclaimer that our characters are fictional, that, that, that's a downer for me. And the good thing is that we still love it, and we still love the business, and we still love what the business was, and even today. But it's just it's a, it's a really a downer for me when I think about what <laughs> when I think about how I was a big fan and believed it all, and well, didn't really believe it all, but didn't really know. Uh, anyway, back to the main event. You ready? It's too ready. hard in attendance. Yes, sir. Davey Boy Smith here out to the ring. Going to be challenging Big Van Vader for the World Championship Wrestling title, the world title. Vader's going to be working this match with a cracked rib, a cracked rib, which has had him limited in his house show matches to like five minutes. But he's going to do what he can to pull out all the stops here. Meltzer would write, this match was much better than it looked to be on paper. There has never been a man of Vader's size in this business who consistently has put on single matches of this caliber. Smith didn't sell the power moves early, and Vader went up for all of Smith's slams and suplexes to put Smith over as having Superman-like strength and make him a believable challenger. He loved the match. Uh, He says, um, another great match hampered by a cheap finish. This match should have established Smith as a serious main event wrestler for WCW, Three and three quarter stars. It wins match of the night in the wrestling observer reader poll. And as a result of the match, Davey's actually shaken up here. Uh, he doesn't miss any bookings, but Vader even takes some time off after this and misses some house shows because these guys pull out all the stops. Right. All right. Uh, I agree with all of that with the exception of, and I agree with, he says it was a terrible finish and there should have been something more, something to do to make Davey Boy Smith uh, shine a little bit more. I don't know what you could do unless you switch the title to Davey Boy here, right? To make him more. Yeah, I mean, p- putting it on Davey would have worked. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not saying that it was necessary. I mean, I, I, think, I think Vader's run in 93 was incredible. I think it would have been... You know, I might've tried to pivot to Mick Foley here, but I get that you're using this to set up your July pay-per-view too. I right. mean, it's really hard to argue, but it does feel like the mankind thing or the cactus Jack thing. You could have waited and done a little later. I mean, we know what they're going to do at Halloween havoc. We've already covered it and it's fucking tremendous. It's in the archives. Yep. If you want to check it out. Yeah. Bloodbath. Davy boy here, man. Big as a house, big as ever. As a kid, I was a big Davy boy fan, but you know, as an adult, fucking vader's the man yeah best big man ever i think i don't think anybody would really dispute it either yeah let's right. uh let's get to some questions on twitter we, we ask you guys hey what do you want to know about this and we've got tons of questions here you can ask for next week which we're going to be covering and we hope you watch along with us the very first time that scott hall showed up on nitro it's that may 1996 episode of nitro Scott Hall is going to make his way down to the ring in the middle of a match and take over and WCW would never be the same. So it's a rare look, uh, at, at a company in transition where the NWO is not heated up and it's sort of the old guard and everything changes that night. So it's an old school WCW 1995 era product, but that night changed it all. Did it not? Yep. It changed everything and, uh, for the better. Of course, it didn't take long for it to go down, to be honest, but it was uh, 
it was a changing of the guard, so to speak, if I can use that term. Let's uh, let's go to Twitter and uh, let you ask some questions here uh, from what mm-hmm. happened when it's at WHW Monday. Wes Sparkman wants to know, can Tony translate Thunderbolt's promo? I think I could. Because I'm going to kick your ass. Bad Money okay. Slim. <laughs> Bad Money Slim. Hypothetically speaking, what was bigger? Colonel Robert Parker's jump rope or Sid softball bat? Bad Money Slim! You motherfucker, it was Colonel Parker's jump rope. Julian wants I th- to know. I was told. Wait a minute. I was told. Don't know for sure. I never measured Colonel Parker's jump rope. Uh, Joe wants to know, was Bunkhouse <laughs> Buck backstage? <laughs> no. Doug wants to know, why did Sid not have a softball tournament to go to? Uh, because this was in March, and the, most of the softball tournaments uh, were probably in the summer. Julian wants to know, did Stu Hart have a low-key big hog? Uh, we understand he did. Eric wants to know why wasn't Barry Windham a mega star? He's in my top 10 all time. And I wish he was in the position that Luger and sting were in that first few clash of the champions, or was it just him? And he couldn't take the rocket and fly with it. His fault or WCW's. Well, he was never really a big star with Vince either. Right. I mean, he was uh, part of that tag team with Rotunda and then he was a widow maker. Yep. And just maybe he just, I don't know, maybe he just couldn't take the rocket. I, I, I think we all agree he was one of the great workers ever, but, uh, I don't know. Just, we weren't the only ones that didn't give him that big shot. If Ken wants to know if Conrad made Tony pick easy way or hard way, which would Tony pick brother? I would pick hard way. Yeah. Tina wants to know what you don't believe that can Tony and Conrad recreate the dance routine of Scorpio and Bagwell. I think we should I, do that. Yeah. I think we could do that. We got to make that happen. Could. Zach Hobbs okay. wants to know. I'm pretty sure that the box they brought Moolah out is the same one that Lex Luger jumped out of in 91 to attack staying at the clash. Was there a warehouse somewhere in Atlanta where WCW housed these shitty props? Yes, there was. <laughs> Uh, wow who's that who's that from again zach hobbs zach if you know that man you're watching shit too closely man no i know god bless you i noticed it too so you can make fun of me uh zach also wants to know what did tony think of the omni in atlanta it was always a big venue for wcw and jim crockett but he always plays like center stage was a giant shithole any good omni stories well yeah uh my first, my first day back at, uh, at WCW, uh, they ran an Omni house show and I went to the Omni house show that night, Lois, uh, and the, and the kids and Lois's mom, uh, were staying up at the Omni and I went down the Omni hotel and I went down to see the show. And I remember sitting there with Janie Ingle watching, uh, watching the matches from afar thinking, what, 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 what have I done with my fucking life here? I'm back into this bullshit again. And that memory of that night, that depressing memory of that night with the Omni stuck in my mind and I could never get it out of my mind as much as the Omni had some great moments. I could never get it out of the, my mind. I prior to that had been a ring announcer at the Omni 
for for a lot for a lot of times with uh, Charlie McGowan doing the ring, ringing the bell. And Charlie and I used to always, when we were told that the main event would be at Broadway, we would shave time off the main event time. Instead of going 60 minutes, they would end up going like 55 or even 52. I think it's eight minutes we shaved off at one time uh, because we would. I would always try to get that. Eastern Airlines flight at 11.15 back to Charlotte. But I was a ring announcer. And some of my, my favorite moments of the Omni was back being a ring announcer. Uh, Ric Flair and uh, Brad Armstrong. The, the night, and I mentioned this, I think, uh, last week, when Bam Bam Bigelow puked on the, uh, on the floor. Uh, Dick Slater and Dusty Rhodes in a cage match that lasted six minutes. Uh, that had the fans booing because Slater, I mean, uh, Murdoch needed to get uh, to a uh, get on an airplane and get out of there and only would go six minutes with Dusty. Uh, but that was – ring announcing were my favorite moments prior to this era. Uh, and then when I came back to WCW and were in, was in the backstage area that one night, realizing that I had left Vince McMahon, it always kind of tainted that building for me after that. Yeah, I get that. Um where would you rank it in terms of your favorite venues? Like, can you sort of run through what some of your favorite venues were? Number one, Greensboro Coliseum by far. You talking about as a fan or an announcer either. Okay. Uh, number one, Greensboro Coliseum by far. Number two, the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, number three, the Roanoke civic center, in Roanoke, Virginia. Number four was the old Charlotte Coliseum, which became the independence arena. Uh, which we continued to run years later after they had built a new Coliseum. Uh, I always liked the old UIC Pavilion in Chicago. Thought we had some good events in there, and that was that was a good uh, place for us to run. Uh, Madison Square Garden was always in my top ten, only because I got to work it, uh, and I got to uh, uh, experience that. Boston Garden was another one I got to work, and I really enjoyed that. And those are probably like my top six or seven. But really, I have to go back to my days of being a fan, Greensboro, Richmond, Roanoke. Those were the places that we went to on a regular basis. I mean, every time they ran those shows, we were there. And uh, those were my favorite places. And those you know, have magical, uh, nostalgic memories for me. Eric wants to know what's Tony's favorite entrance theme ever. My favorite entrance uh, entrance theme. Are we talking about back in the in the WCW days? You, whatever you like, Tony. What's your favorite entrance theme? My favorite entrance theme was when Hulk Hogan was was uh, at his height, and they used to play "I'm a Real American." He would walk in. Hard to beat, man. Yeah. Uh, if you had to pick a WCW one, what would that be? <laughs> Oh, my WCW one would be, I guess it would be Ric Flair's. Yeah. I mean, that's the uh, 2001. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a fun one for you. Chef <laughs> wants to know, was Tony upset when they put a mask on Tom Zink? He was a good looking man. <laughs> no, I could see through, I could see through the uh, mask. I could see through the, the cover. He still had nice looking abs, nice looking pecs. His glutes were nice and firm. Okay. His, uh, All right. Let's move on. Uh, wrestling ain't for snowflakes that wants to know how many people bitched about Vern Gagne getting in the WCW hall of fame. Uh, I, nobody that I know of, it was more like a pro wrestling hall of fame than it was 
and there was a uh, WCW Hall of Fame. I guess we try to consider ourselves wrestling, right? Right. Wrestling. So putting Vern Gagne in there was probably, yeah, why not? We're, I mean, we're complaining about too much shit here if we're complaining about that. Um, Tony Barker wants to know, do you consider the British Bulldogs first WCW run a disappointment considering how hot he was when he came in from the WWF? Yeah, I do. And maybe this is a, a another reason why it was a disappointment because, as Melcher said, we didn't do enough for him here. Grote wants to know, were any of the guys upset that Dorian Bockwinkle got 15 minutes of pay-per-view time? No, I don't think so. Uh, as as well, what as the 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 uh, other legends in attendance or the the regular wrestlers? No, I don't think so. Colorado Wait, says I I've heard Vader give Sting credit for getting him through, um, a easier punch. I don't know. Well, fucking okay. I, my uh, bad. I should have skipped that one. But we're live to okay. tape here, so we'll keep going. Okay. Colorado, Colorado wants to know, did Tony ever consider getting braids like Davy boy? <laughs> well, uh, I've often considered braids. I've often could see, you know, I, I blonded my hair at one time. I've considered tattoos. As you know, I had earrings at one time back when I was, uh, about 10 years ago. So yeah, I was always in favor of trying to do something different with my look and my body. So yeah, I would have done that. I'd have done the cornrows. You wanted to do something different with your look and your body. Did you just say that out loud? Yes, I did. All righty. That's why I've got the beard. I didn't have the beard through all out of all WCW, right? It wasn't until I got out of the wrestling business. I got the beard. I like changing things up. I do. Tom wants to know if you ever met Luthez and what he was like. I uh, just shook his hand and bowed to him, so to speak. I mean, he was a nice man. Okay. You say that Very kind of polite. jokingly, but I guess we should remind everybody. Cause I think a lot of people probably lost this. Luthez was world champion for 10 years, three months and nine days. Yeah. That's He's got a move named after him. Who else does? That's some shit. Is it not 10 years yeah. as champion? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of bowed to him, like, you know, nodded, not really bowed like they do in Japan. Uh, but nodded and you know, it was, it was quite a moment to be able to shake his hand. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I never met Lou would have been cool. I feel like I met everybody else. Is there anybody that you would have liked to have met? You never got a chance to, uh, wow. No, I got to meet, I got to meet Jimmy Snooker, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, because you know, I, uh, Snooker was wrestling back in, uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling when I, when I, and I, I've got to go back. I got to meet Dick Murdoch, got to meet Harley Race. I, I, I can't remember and think of anybody that I didn't get to meet. I thought it was pretty cool that I met Greg Gagne until I got to meet him. No, I'm kidding. I, I was going to say, I was hoping for a story there. <laughs> no, Greg, Greg, Greg was okay. Greg was a good guy. He was very opinionated, very opinionated. And of course he worked for us here at that time. Joe wants to know what makes you go to sleep faster, a Dory Funk Jr. match or the JJ Dillon podcast? <laughs> the JJ Dillon podcast is the best remedy when you can't go to sleep. You know, um, what's funny is, you know, I think a lot of people listen to us sort of bust balls on here and they think that we like really hate JJ. I feel like we should remind everybody that 
JJ is going to be at Starcast, and yeah. he, he and Animals podcast, the Oh What a Rush pod, they're both going to be covering the War Games retrospective, which is going to have Tully Blanchard, Lex Luger, Road Warrior Animal, and JJ Dillon talking about those War Games matches. They might even do like a watch along thing, like we're doing here, Tony, with an old War Games match. That's fun stuff. That's not Nyquil. No, that's good stuff. We have a we have a lot of fun with JJ. Why would we rip on a guy with a minute bucket bucket full of nuts? Well, I mean that's to me that's. I wish I had those. Really? Yeah. Next time, nuts, next time okay. you're over, here's what I'd like to do. Okay. I'll stretch my sack out all the way, and then <laughs> sort of give you God. like a skin mask, and you can say hello, Clarice. Your thoughts. Okay, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a potted meat can and empty that, and my nuts will fit into a potted meat can. What what, what are we doing right now? I don't know. I'm just following your lead. Okay. <laughs> um, Ricky Morton's mullet wants to know, why not have Sting wrestle Rude, Orndorff, or literally any fan in the building instead of the prisoner? Uh, people yeah. are really mad about nails here. I didn't hate yeah. it that much. Uh, again, you, again, you just, you got to go at the spur of the moment, man. It's easy to sit back and I'm not critic. Who's this? Who's the question from? Uh, Ricky Morton's mullet. Okay. Well, Hey, I know who he is, or I've, I've seen him before. It's easy to sit back and criticize this and say it was bullshit. But again, unless you're working in it behind the scenes, it's got to happen quickly. You just got to kind of go with it. Um, let's talk about. And this is one of my favorite things I noticed in this uh, show when I watched it back. And I don't know that we've talked about it this much, but some of the fans asked, including Ricky Morton's mullet. I uh, love this ramp. Uh, the ramp is so much cooler to me, you know, like, you know, this walkway all the way to the ring. Don't you prefer that long platform to the ring as opposed to just the traditional like no. nitro ramp? You like the nitro ramp better? Yeah. I think yep. this adds such a different level, such a different element because you can thrill people over and do more bumps. I, I just, I like it a lot more. And I agree with that. I agree that you can do a lot more bumps over with it and everything. And, and not only that, uh, I also agree that it elevates the guys, their stars. You put them up and everybody can see them. Look at that pickup by Davey Boy Smith, man. Think that it didn't take a strong guy to pick Vader up like that, even though he's on his back. Fucking deadlift shit right there, man. Wow. Let me ask you this. Um, what's the, uh, what's the reason this is from Mike. Why does Tony go by his middle name instead of his actual first name? Noah. Uh, okay. When I was younger, um, there was nobody else named Noah. It's kind of fashionable now to name your kid Noah in this. And I've seen a lot of Noah's, a lot of young kids. I've met a lot of young kids who's, uh, go by the name of Noah. Uh, but back then it was not, and and I kind of got uh, teased about it. So it always was Tony. And uh, my grandfather's name was Antonio. So they kind of called me Tony and uh, a nod to my grandfather. And uh, I remember back uh, Grace Ramsey, who was our chorus teacher back at Buffalo Gap High School. I mean, I knew Mrs. I knew Mrs. Ramsey forever. And so she was calling roll that one day when I was in like the ninth grade or in the 10th grade. And she said, Noah Shivani. And she knew I was Tony and everybody laughed out loud. Hey, Noah, where's your arc? Shit like that. 
So I was just called Tony. But now Noah's pretty cool. Why not? Uh, My dad was Noah. My dad was Noah. So we've seen a, uh, a DQ finish here. Give everybody your timestamp. All right. Rolling back in the ring right now. Uh, 22, 44, 21, 22, 23, 24. Whoa. And here comes some... Uh, Guys out of the ring and Vader, man. <laughs> you know, when you kept, was you was a guy when you were a guy coming out of the ring, man. Whoa! Too cold Scorpio. How about that? You just you had you you uh had your life on the line when you ran in against Vader. Holy shit. He'd do some crazy things. So that's where we are right now. Disqualification, fans are standing, and now they're going to start they saw Vader look to his right. He's waiting for Sting to come down. Here he comes down. Big pop. And, of course, this sets up our next pay-per-view. And the fans, you know, okay, so we leave with this, and the fans are kind of into it, right? Yeah, lame finish. I agree. But the fans but are the fan- into it. Yeah. Look at them standing. They're cheering. Uh, they were, and now Vader walks away. Wow. Badass son of a bitch he was, man. And they were stinging. I, I, this I didn't get. I mean, I would, I would have those guys coming to the ring would be for if Davy Boy Smith won the title, right? But I didn't get that at the very end. So now we got to fill, we got to fill some time here. And now watch Eric. I don't, he's not happy about having to fill the time here. Uh, he's got Magnum TA with him, who was Dusty's assistant Booker back then. And uh, uh, Eric keeps looking at the camera and tries trying to see. He's looking like to his right. When were you? Why don't we let's uh, and Magnum does one of these old Magnum TA promos, which he was very good at. Uh, but uh, again, you and it, you can't control what the boys do. They're going to go home a little bit early. They go home a little bit early and you got to fill what you got to fill. But it would have been better to go out with Sting and Vader, you know, nose to nose, I think. But this is what it was. And this is the end of our great show. Hey, so, yeah, thumbs in the middle. Uh, but for me, because of the uh, because of uh, Mad Dog Vashon and what he said and because uh, Stu Hart was still talking when Eric pulled the microphone away from him uh, there and because I got to meet some of the legends, uh, one of the most memorable pay-per-views that, that I had been a part of, really. It was fucking not great, but there's uh, a couple no. of really, really good matches on it. It's a weird time for WCW. This is easily the worst, you know, production we've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to fill time with fucking Ganya and Larry Zabisco. It's like a family reunion down there. Yeah, I know it is. And, uh, it was good to see Vern and talk to him. And of course he stumbled through some things, but he's still Vern Ganya. And I've got to say in 1993, if I'd have been Lois Shivani, I would have had sex with me. Because I'm looking awfully good here. So would you have? I mean, if you could go uh, don't, back, don't 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 even go into for. I know you're going to go into something really really fucking gross here. That's as far as I'm going to go with that. All right. Okay. I'm done. When, <laughs> I'm done when you are, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of. Do you know that that I talked to that I still got that tux that thing. Right, that we, would got not even, we got it. We got the tux and we're going to put it on fucking eBay. So nah, wouldn't even go around a leg right now. That's going to, we're going to, um, we're going to donate the funds to Stan Lane's halfway house for women who wouldn't go all the way. 
<laughs> Not many in that in that halfway house, I can tell you. Virtual Runners, Alan Rogowski. Uh, here I am. There goes Craig. Dan Bynum, Rob Wright. Neil Pruitt. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, Neil Pruitt. Some good people as we roll up on it. And then, of course, at the end, you'll see Annette Yother in makeup. And Annette would eventually move on up uh, in the ladder. Uh, a lot of it was hard work. Wes Benton, Rick Little, good guy. There's Darwin, Bill Tinsley. Sharon Sadello. Think of that name when you see the, uh, the Hornswoggle book bloat, blow up the boat. So there. So there's our show, guys. Woo-hoo-hoo. Well, next Not week, bad. you know what's coming. And uh, if I were you, I would be checking us out on Twitter. We're going to be announcing what the lineup is going to look like for June. And we're going to have that up for you this week at WHW Monday on Twitter. We've also got a major announcement coming in the next week or so about how you can get more involved with WHW. If you want more content, you want more from Tony Schiavone. We even had requests for, can you guys watch current shows? Well, stay tuned. You never know what's coming, but, uh, right now, Tony, it looks like it's about that time. It's about that time, and now it's time for another edition of Flair for the Gold. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, coming out with uh, Fifi the Maid and the special guest, Conrad Thompson. Conrad Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, who has become one of the great wrestling podcast promoters in the entire United States. Now he's talking with the Nature Boy. Oh, my God, from behind, it's Vince McMahon. It's Basil DeVito. They've got a chair. Down goes Conrad. And we're out of time. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StarCast, the official convention partner of All In, coming to the Hyatt Regency Chicago beginning Thursday, August 30th. The event, like Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard, is a sellout. LoisRules.com, home of the hottest t-shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com. By BoxOfGimmicks.com. Everything from baby onesies to koozies to coffee mugs. The official gimmick store of What Happened When, Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard, and 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. By Dave Silva, the El Guapo of Harlingen, Texas. By Lazy Ass Matt Coon. And that's all we need to say about that. And by the trio of Angry Old Fred, the old commentary ninja, and Carl. These two fat guys, Shivani and Conrad, will leave me alone. This is old commentary ninja with wise proverb of day. Confucius say, virginity like balloon. One prick, all gone. Huh, get it? One prick, all gone. Hmm. <laughs> Yes. This is what happened when with Tony Schiavone. I like the way you talk.